Still sick. You look like you sound beer. like you sound like Pharrell on the bench. Beer, beer. <laughs> I can't even talk beer. I got you on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> We're drinking forties. We're doing this. <laughs> oh my goodness! Two weeks off. It's been too long. Episode thirty-one. Trente Sports Uno. meets beer. Holy moly! We've been through a lot in the last couple of weeks. You have. I've I haven't been through it. Well, we've been through a uh, thing, a holiday with Thanksgiving. Yep. Uh, we've been through some football games, some good, some bad. We've been through a uh, lot of pizzas. <laughs> uh, one thing that's not that's just starting to come back. Speaking of pizza, is my appetite. So that's good. One month of being sick sucks. But we're making the best of it. Brad's been tolerant with my lack of voice thus far, but uh, maybe even reveled in it. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, goodness, we got a lot to talk about this week. We have a lot of to- a lot to talk about every week. Uh, we think it's a lot. It's really not. It's all minuscule and minor and minutia. There we go. The, the minutia. Uh, I did, was able to take a tour to a couple of breweries this week. I brought some growlers back from Cali Craft. We nice had a chance to discuss those. Those were pretty awesome. I had a surprise drop off from some friends in Southern California. Yep. Uh, so we got a beer there. We got uh, man, we got some trash talking. We do. We have some trash talking. We're pretty sports heavy this week. So uh, if you are sports I'm heavy, heavy every week. Well, yeah, that's I'm heavy when I walk up the stairs. Yeah. My carpet shows it. Uh, it's interesting you say trash talk because this week it's episode thirty-one. Right. Uh, for those of you who are starting, this is your first episode that you're listening to. What we've tra- started to do, we started to do it right around... Uh, we recommend to pause this one and go back and listen to the previous 30. Yeah, obviously. It would really help our numbers. But if you're not going to do that... You would do us a solid. Um, at least just play like a couple of minutes of it, each one. Um, just, yeah, the first five minutes. Yeah. And then, uh, anyway, so what we do is we started right around um, 16, I think. Episode 15. We 15. We before Joe. Um, we pick a... Based on what episode number we're in, we picked the jersey number of a an athlete, a Hall of Fame athlete. Um, retired athlete. Yeah, retired Hall of Fame athlete. And we dedicate that episode to this person. Well, this so this episode, there are really two names when it comes down to it. Um, number 31. It was uh, honorable mention is, uh, well, it's two names. It's Greg Maddox, Hall of Fame pitcher, Major League Baseball, pitched for the, uh, the Cubs, the Braves, the Cubs, the Dodgers, and the Padres. Uh, uh, you said Cubs twice. Yeah, I'm looking at like the trajectory of his career. That's how it went. Gotcha. Um, and then also uh, from the NBA, Mr. Reggie Miller, one of the best trash talkers of all time. See, it's funny you say that because I, the, you know, I was not a huge NBA guy uh, in my youth, but I remember Reggie Miller. I do not remember him being a trash talker. You don't remember him going up to Spike Lee courtside at Madison Square Garden and giving the gag signal and like putting his own hands around his own neck to show that the Knicks had choked. 
in the NBA fight, the NBA plays that that highlight reel we watched before we came on. He goes over to Spike Lee immediately following yeah. that stretch and goes like this, <laughs> just barking at each other. Uh, if you get a chance to watch the Reggie Miller thirty for thirty, it is this is the you know you'll hear us reference thirty for thirty a couple of times on the show today. But um, if you get a chance to watch that, I highly recommend it because the guy is a great shooter, moved constantly without the ball. You know, he's not necessarily great off the dribble, but was a really great shooter, knew how to get open, was a quick release, you know, was an, a, a decent defender, Hall of Fame player. I mean, he, he's he's great. Um, but he never won a title, and he was a multiple-time All-Star. Um, multiple-time All-Star. I don't think he ever won the MVP. Um, looking at this now, no. Uh, never led the league in scoring. His average, his stat line is 18 points per game for his career. Um Three rebounds, three assists a game. I mean, he was a sniper in the truest sense of the word. Um, you know, great player. But when you compare that to Mr. Greg Maddox, who went by the Mad Dog or... Uh, That's a great nickname. Yeah, the Mad Dog or the Professor. Um, I only know one professor, and that boy's in Philly right now. Yes, so he is, sorry. allegedly. Um, one of my favorite... this. So you've heard me talk on the show a few times about my love for the X's and O's of it. Like, I could watch game tape on any of my favorite sports and watch nothing but game tape uh, over and over and just be very pleased for the rest of my life. And Sports Illustrated, when I was, let's see, it had to have been like 95 or 96. Um, One of Greg Maddox's Cy Young years, so it's probably 95. Um... They did a great, they did like a five page article um, about, you know, the game's best pitcher at the time, which was Greg Maddox, against, you know, the game's best hitter at the time, which was Barry Bonds. And they talked about like the strategy behind each guy. And they broke down each at bat and the pitch sequence. And they asked Maddox about it and they asked Bonds about it. And it broke it down. And it, like I said, it was multiple pages and it was, it was riveting, riveting to read. If you're a baseball fan, obviously. If you're not, then right. your nose will bleed. But <laughs> watching it, you know, I think he struck Bonds out the first time. Bonds flew out the second time. Bonds hit a double in the gap on the third time. And then he walked him the fourth time because Maddox ended up throwing a complete game. Um, but anyway, just to listen to that guy break down um, pitching and, like, his ability to change speeds. He was not a power fastball guy. Did not have great movement. But he knew how to change speeds and he knew how to hit locations. Um just one of like the true craftsmen. Uh, he played, you know, twenty-two years in the league. Um, God, that's crazy. Twenty-two years in the league. He was a uh, four-time Cy Young Award winner and won those four years in a row. Four years in a row, best pitcher from ninety-two through ninety-five. Eight-time All Star. Uh, one time he was a Cy Young Award winner, but somehow didn't make the All Star game, which is kind of strange. That's weird. Twenty-time uh, Gold Glove winner, twenty. Um, and then uh, he it has won. To be the most. It's got to be. It's got to be close. Um, and then thirty-five postseason appearances. I mean, the Braves. He was at the Braves in that stretch where the Braves were in the NLCS or the World Series every year. Um, you know, he won the one. His his World Series ERA actually is really good. Um, he's only he's got like a two point. I did the math earlier. A two point four three World Series ERA. I mean, the guy knew how to pitch. Showed up. Um, you know, was he was baseball's he was hitter's worst nightmare because it, every pitch he threw looked fat, and they couldn't um, 
What are we looking at here? You said 20, right? Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. 1, yeah. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. 18, sorry. 18 out of 20. So it's 13, though. Yeah, but I'm I'm looking at it. This is according no, no. to baseball. I believe that I believe you I believe I believe baseball baseball what, reference baseball com. reference for over info please. Yeah. dot um, com. Oh my goodness. I picked the worst sites. Yeah, anyway. Um so uh, baseball hitter's worst nightmare, right? Just because so many pitches that he threw looked so fat and you just couldn't hit him because they changed the speeds just enough. Um, and then, uh, but he was also baseball's best night, best dream because he, a lot of times he'd pitch games, it'd be like an hour and 50 minutes. He worked quick. Ugh. He was dominant, you know, just, you know, kept the ball moving, kept the ball in play. Is not, you know, 3,000 strikeouts for his career. That seems like a lot. But again, consider he played 22 years. You know, or twenty. Well, yeah, he played twenty-two years. You know, versus you know, Nolan Ryan's got five thousand plus. You know, some you know guy that played similar length in his career. Um, you know, Hall of Famer, and again, he won a World Series. So what it really comes down to is the length of the career and the fact that one guy has a championship and the other guy doesn't. So even though this episode has a lot of discussion about trash talking, which would suggest that we should dedicate it to Reggie Miller, we're still going with the Mad Dog. We're going to talk a little trash and say no. Yeah. Sorry, Reggie Miller. In your you face. Choked. Your sister's a better basketball player than you anyway. You can't get you can't have an episode dedicated to you if you're not even the best basketball player in your family. Guess what? Spike Lee's still doing commercials. You're just a commentator. And one of the worst ones in the NBA. Holy crap, is he bad? He makes Chris Weber sound like fucking Winston Churchill. He's oh my God. Nice. I, I don't even want to get started on that shit. Oh my goodness. We'll save that for another episode. <sighs> Hear that the the, the the hateful rage episode. Oh my goodness, that'll be the that'll go with the low cone worst line of the week. Oh, that's coming starting next week. I, I got to start taking better notes about that. But we're gonna do a fun segment starting next week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, low cone. Uh, Who is the worst writer in sports? I'm gonna read three sentences. Uh, two of them I'm gonna make up, and one of them is gonna be one that he actually wrote. You got to pick out which is the one that he actually wrote, and they're Will all you, be the listener. No, it'll be me. Right, dumb, dumb Ben over here. I'll try to figure it out. <laughs> uh, and I will read them in what I imagine. Low Cone's voices. I think he writes like this. <laughs> oh, I guarantee. And he, I bet you he calls his wife in after every sentence and makes her read the sentence. What do you think about this, honey? I just said this. Aren't I smart? Yeah. Uh, one of the things he wrote this past week was the Kansas City Chiefs and the Oakland Raiders are a paradox in philo- or a clash of philosophies. The Chiefs know to how how to unraider the Raiders. That was a sentence that he wrote. They unraiders he they unraider the Raiders. Again. That guy has a Hall of Fame a baseball Hall of Fame vote, ladies and gentlemen. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Let's let's start the show. Yeah, on that note, <laughs> let's lights camera action. Will Lowell Cone throw up on the podcast? Sports meets beer episode. I'm dying. Uh, do it. Why can't you say you talk to me? This episode of Sports Meets Beer brought to you by Ricola Diarrhea. <laughs> and Joe Camel. Uh do not.
do not ingest all three of those things at the same time. I would, I would suggest not ingesting two of the three. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, that seems to be on point. I mean, those are both logically sound recommendations. I, I agree. Yeah, I'm Ben Perry, and I support that message. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone, we're back. A little bit of a break. Um, you would think that due to holiday con- conflicts and things like that, that uh, that's why we took some time off. And originally, that's we took one week off for Thanksgiving. We did. Uh, which we will briefly talk about our each other's Thanksgivings. Um, not that it, we're, we're a little out of text, but just to the overall. It was good. I summary. ate turkey and got drunk. I <laughs> I did not eat. I did not get drunk. I ate a little bit of turkey. I don't like the judgment in your voice. I'm, it's not the judgment <laughs> in my voice. It's the death illness. Yeah. So the yeah the the, the first week was holiday related. Second week was I literally lost my voice on Thanksgiving. I just, I just, and this is a significant. What you're hearing right now is a ridiculous, dramatic, dramatic improvement. So now you know here it is. The the this will come out on Monday. We're recording on Friday, so it's the oh, I'm sorry, recording on Thursday night. Anyways, it's the ninth of December. So you know we've had this is it's a Friday right now. That's right. Today is Friday. Yeah. Goodness Christ, I don't even know what I, I just had this image in my brain. Your wife has urged you to go to the hospital repeatedly since you've, you know, to or get a doctor's appointment to go have right. your throat and yeah. your chest, you know, examined to make sure there was nothing going on. I love the idea in my mind that suddenly perhaps it's not at all about your congestion that made her go. It's the fact that you only had one beer on Thanksgiving. She, that's how she knew something was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she wasn't even watching the, like, the intake. And it wasn't that I wasn't sitting there going, I'm just going to have one beer because I don't feel well. It literally just did not sound good. The next morning she came out and there was only one beer can in the garbage. She's like, oh my God, Ben, you need to go to the hospital right now. You are definitely sick. (laughs) You know, the funny part is, so, you know, we had, uh, we had 20 some odd folks at the house. Yeah. You know, 12 or 13 of which were drinking age. There was literally three, uh, three beers consumed all day. What? Yeah. That's because I had one. Uh, my nephew's daddy had one. Yeah. And my cousin's husband had one, and then he switched over to cider. Uh-huh. But as far as beer beers, dude, I had three ice chests. I mean, I had a variety. I had yeah. eight, we had eight different beers to choose from, and a lot of them. Plus wine, plus champagne, plus all that stuff. Dude, this was like a no drinking. Oh, thanks, holiday. It was so weird. And I guess normally I just, I forge ahead. I'm the one who sets the tone. Yeah, everyone's all weirded out. Yeah, everyone's like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, but Ben's going back. I better keep up. Yeah, I had one. I had a half, and then I had half a glass of wine. Gordon Beer Chef? Yes. Delightful. Yeah. Get a drink what's free. Brother. True Bavarian style. Half. Yes. That's what I do like about it. Uh, but yeah, and then it was, um, yeah, then it, it was, at that point, it was like, normally I, I normally it's, you know, um, steady throughout the day, especially during football. Wine with dinner, and then after dinner, I switch over to whiskey. Oh wow, that's usually how my day goes. I uh, I make Irish coffees, some of the best Irish coffees you'll have. Uh, and then I'm not a big fan of Irish coffees. Did I ever tell you that? I think we've talked about that. Yeah, I just that's fair. I don't know. That's fair. Okay, let's um, continue. But we don't use you know like sweetened whipped cream or anything. We're like legit sugar cubes. Great whiskey, good coffee. Nice. You know. Um, 
Nothing but Jim Beam. We're good. Yeah. And then uh, right around noon, I switched to beer and uh, had a few beers. And then we had some really, really nice wine brought to the house by some guests of ours that uh, I enjoyed a few glasses of wine over dinner. And then I had a few more craft beers after that. And because uh, I didn't eat as much this year, like as I usually do at dinner, I usually, you know, I usually go, I'm usually good for seconds, but I really only had one course. I think part of that, it was the appetizer situation. And also I didn't want to get too full because I did have some nice beers I wanted to try. Right. So it was I, a uh, different operating procedure in terms I, of the food I to think beverage. I ate as little as I did in the last 30 years, meaning like I ate like a 10 year old. I had one plate of food. And it wasn't even that, like, I didn't have, like, an old... I don't usually gorge myself at Thanksgiving. Right. I enjoy the food we have. I do really small portions. I'll usually go back and have more mashed potatoes and the stuffing and all that, all that stuff. Um, this year, I had... You know, we don't do a traditional turkey. We do, a like, a, the roulade kind of thing where it's wrapped in bacon and it's, the turkey breast is pounded out and filled with stuffing. Right. So I usually have one, and then I'll probably have a second slice of that. I had one. I didn't even finish it. I had some potatoes. Barely finished those. Some. I had some sweet potatoes. Barely finished that. A little stuffing. Didn't even finish that. That's it. And then the worst part is because I was coughing and my voice was so bad. I coughed so bad. Like, eh, it was like we ate at 4 um, or 3.30. Yeah. Uh, at about 7, I went upstairs to go change into comfortable clothes. Coughed so hard, I threw dinner up. That's outstanding. Horrible. Horrible. You're like, you're like Doc Holiday. You would think that I would I would be much skinnier after, and that happened for like four days after. You I, are much skinnier. Let's <laughs> let's let's cut at the humble brags. Anyways, uh, we didn't. This show is not the Thanksgiving recap episode. Uh, again, yeah, this is uh, 31. So let's get into this. Uh, it is 31, but it is uh, a day to celebrate or a week to celebrate. Uh, 33. A man of this stature deserves yeah. a celebratory week. I would give him the pass on the month. I'd allow him to do birthday month. Yeah, I would too. It's a it's a uh, a quintessential number. It's a great time in his life. He still has it all together so that he's somewhat intact and sharp. He hasn't quite started shitting his pants yet. Larry Legend will never shit his pants. I disagree entirely. He will not. They say that he stopped, He hasn't shot a basketball in five years, evidently. If you don't know who we're talking about, we are talking about the incomparable Larry Bird. Um, he turned 60 this week, which, you know, he was like, he, the end of his career was like at the beginning of my like basketball fanhood. Yes. But so I saw him like sort of not necessarily on the decline, but his body was breaking down. So I didn't see him in all of his. And he, dude, he got old really quick in the last three years. Yeah, his body just he betrayed slowed him. that. Well, I mean, you can't. I mean, it's like a, it's like any professional athlete. It's it's impossible to run anybody, especially then when we don't have the the sciences that we have today, as far as physical health health and wellness. Yeah, you know, for them it was you know a lot of bourbon, a lot of beers, a lot of you know rich steaks after dinner. There was not like an ice bath. There was not conditioning like it is today. Yeah, not like it is today. Yeah, but his no, body no held cryotherapy. Up, right, his body held up for so many years, and just towards the end, it just started failing him. Yeah. His back was a bust, you know, just oh, yeah. not the same player. But um, how do you? I mean, I can't even freaking put my pants on when I have a backache. Yeah, he's playing basketball. I know, I know. I actually, uh, 
you know, the, it's been a lot of talk on a lot of the like NBA podcasts and whatnot. Um, you know, just it's his birthday. People kind of reflecting on like his career, going back to it. If you don't, if you get a chance, we'll, we could post it to the to our Facebook page, or um, or or we could go Facebook Live right now. We could go Facebook Live right now. I think I will. But um, we could. Uh, we'll post this video to our Facebook page. But there's like a, a like a two and a half or three minute video that show like Larry Bird uh, career highlight type stuff. And if you haven't, like, you should take the opportunity to watch it because he's amazing. But one of my favorite things about uh, Larry Legend is that he is one of the most legendary trash talkers in the history of sports. Um, now, see, I never saw that side of him. Yeah, you know, because the, back then, social media wasn't what it is now, right? So, like, now the, the NBA does the best job of utilizing social media and how small the world is to its advantage. Right. So you see a great dunk or a funny interaction or, you know, last week... Or Shaq and a fool. Yeah, J.R. Smith... <laughs> J.R. Smith walks off the court in the middle of a play and high fives Jason Terry and gives him a hug and gives up a break, you know, gives up a transition layup in the middle of a play, just walks off the court. That kind of stuff, like it, hap- it you know, everybody knows about it so quickly. You know, it didn't happen back then. So some of this stuff didn't really get out. But I, I do have a few uh, Larry Bird trash talk moments that I did want to kind of bring up. Some stuff that, I, that I've only heard about recently that I think it's worth talking about. In uh, one of my favorites... Um, is uh, when he did, I think it was his second or third um, three-point contest, uh, he walks right into the locker room before the festivities start and goes, um, I hope you guys are all talking about second place because um, I'm winning this. <laughs> and uh, That's awesome. And everyone thought, what are you talking about? And then before that even, he started, he started betting guys on his own team uh, on the Celtics that he would win, and he basically he took down notes on who bet what and who bet against him. Yeah, and uh, he ended up winning. And on a final shot, the final shot was what he broke the tie with. The shot goes in the air, and he puts his finger up in the air and walks away from the corner before the ball even goes through the net. Clears the net, splashes right down. He walks out the champion. Nice, right? Uh, and after that, all his teammates are are coming from the hotel to get on the bus to go on the road trip start to start the second half of the season. Yeah. And he makes everybody, he goes, hey, uh, you owe me 100, you owe me 75, you owe me 500, That's you owe me awesome. this. And like, well, I don't have it on me, Larry. I, I gotta, I gotta, I'll, I'll have to get it to you tomorrow when we get to a bank. And he goes, no, 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 I'll stand here and wait. I'm the three-point champ. They're not going to leave without me. <laughs> That's awesome. So the next year, the next time that he goes that on the three-point contest, uh, apparently he won again. Um he apparently he didn't have much to say in that because he'd already kind of proven himself as the championship yeah. or the champion. And Dale Ellis um, said, you know, pointed out, you know, at, after the fact, he goes, "Yeah, Larry was actually pretty quiet this year." To which the press asked him, "Hey, uh, you know, Dale Ellis said you were pretty quiet." He goes, "Why would I have to say anything? We all knew who was going to win. That was oh, his second man. championship." And then the third time, uh, or no, and then God, I, I never saw this side of him. Oh, dude! So uh, the, the following year, Craig Hodges won the three point contest. Because uh, Larry Bird, I think, was hurt, or he maybe he just didn't play. I can't remember. But um, somebody in the press corps asked him, you know, hey, do you feel like maybe your your win is tainted just because maybe you won just because Larry Bird didn't participate? And uh, and you know, Hodges goes, well, I mean, if Larry Bird wants to compete, he knows where he can find me. And you know, there was some some kind of laughter and chuckles. And then <laughs> then they they kind of went to Larry Bird the next day and told him that Hodges had said that. And he goes, yeah. They said, hey, you know. Hodges said, you know where you can find him if you want to compete. And he, Larry Bird goes, yeah, I know where I can find him, down at the end of the Bulls bench. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, that just shows you too the the difference. I mean, you know, if that if Twitter was alive and well during that time, dude, the trash talking that would have. I mean, that's oh yeah, that's epic just for you know player only. But yeah. I mean, just you know, sitting there like, oh, where's he at? I mean, I kind of expect Larry Bird to come out of the stands and rip his suit off and be geared up, ready to go and dunk yeah. on him. You know, something from WrestleMania. Yeah. So awesome. Another. Another, Sports beach beard. <laughs> another great one. Uh, Kevin McHale tells this story that they're, uh, you know, they're lined up for the opening tip, um, and uh, Elvin Hayes is just this big, beastly player, big center, power, power player. Uh, and Larry Bird looks at Kevin McHale, who's playing center for the Celtics at the time, and he goes, "Hey, uh, right before the game starts, out of the blue, he just yells, hey, go ahead, Kevin, tell Elvin Hayes what you told me before the game.' And I." I hadn't told him anything, he says. He goes, I, I didn't say anything. And uh, he goes, no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead and tell him that you were going to kick his ass. And, <laughs> and Elvin Hayes got all wide-eyed, I guess, and looks at, at, at uh, Kevin McHale. And Kevin McHale at this point is like, well, what am I going to do? If I, if I say I didn't say that, I look like a pussy. Yeah. And if I, I say, oh, yeah, I guess I said that. And then apparently Larry Bird went out and dropped 40 on, oh my goodness. <laughs> on that one. So then my, this, is my, uh, this is my absolute favorite. I got to go down to it because I got I got to have to read the story because it's that good. Uh, let's see. I just can't believe because you know Larry Bird was such an inspiration, and um, you know what, what I'm about to say is probably going to come off a little racist. Yeah, but it's one of those things where you know Larry Bird gave every you know, and that's you know in his prime I was I was junior high high school. You know, it gave every white kid an opportunity to say, you know, I could be Larry Bird. Right. You know, and it's right. one of those things where that was that was who you, you know, at that point, you know, we're talking late 80s, early 90s. Um, I never saw it as a race thing. I just was drawn to him. You know, it's you know, it's him, it's Jordan, it's, it's uh, right. you know, I mean, Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, everything. Yeah. But you're just drawn to him because he was just, just this iconic player. He, he carried himself a certain way. He had a distinct look. It's one of those things, you <laughs> know. I mean, we'll distinct. say, yeah. I mean, you know, it was, you know, yeah. really. You think about like Kevin he was McHale a gym rat. and everything. He was a gym rat, just pasty white and gross. Right. And yeah. you know, but it's one of those things where, you know, every every coach I've had and every sport I've played always talked about work ethic. And any time that they talked about work ethic, Larry Bird's name came out of their mouth. And I never played basketball, right? So it's one of those things where they talked about how how he was as a player, how he trained, all those things. So. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring up the racial side of it. I don't want to get off on a complete tangent because I do want to tell this last story. But um, Isaiah Thomas actually got in some trouble in his career for saying Larry Bird isn't that good of a player. If he was a black, he's just out there doing what black players always do. But it's because he's white, he gets a he gets all this fanfare. That was like a big deal because you know there was still some of like the, I mean as there are today even, but there were still some of the prejudices that existed in the league. And oh and, yeah, you know people people. You know, white people all over love, you know, just jumped on the opportunity to just shame Isaiah Thomas for saying so. And which is an ignorant thing to say. He was a great player. Right. But then the the backlash from him saying that was just as infuriating because it was like, oh, it's reverse racism. It's this. It's that. It's yeah. It's, and it's, you know, and it's one of those things like ignorant. Yes. Uh, but you still have to respect Isaiah Thomas for his opinion. Oh, sure. I mean, it, you know, whether you agree with it or not is not the question. The and question is that. You know, he gets to say what he wants to say. And if you get a chance to see the Detroit Pistons Bad Boys 30 for 30, um, which this, will, this is the second time 30-30 will have come up in the show. Because it's a great, it's it's a great amazing. series. But, it's an uh, unbelievable series. If you get a chance to watch it, the segment that deals with that 
time in Isaiah's career um, is pretty telling. Like the Boston, the the very very white Boston media um, had a field day with him, and when he went to a press conference in Boston at one point, they just it was it was uncomfortable to say the least. Really? Yeah. So last little trash talking story I do want to talk about is uh, Larry Bird against Chuck Person. Uh, Chuck was played for the Pacers, and they they played on Christmas Day one year. Um, and before the game, uh, Larry Bird evidently told Chuck Person they had a Christmas present waiting for him. Like before the game started, he told him that. And it, evidently, um, Chuck Person, who was nicknamed the Rifleman because he was kind of a, a, an outside shooter, oh, marksman okay. type player, okay. um, he said prior to the game that the Rifleman is coming to Boston and he's going bird hunting. That's what he said. <laughs> so during Pretty the clever. Ga- so during the game, Person was sitting on the bench, uh, and. It's early in the game, I guess, but uh, Bird shoots a three-pointer on the baseline right in front of where, like, knowing Larry Bird the way that I know him after having read a bunch of these stories, he probably looked where Person was and then curled off of a screen right in front of him. Just put his ass right in his face, probably. I, I haven't seen the video. Shot the three, and before the ball even goes in the rim, turns around <laughs> to Chuck Person, who he said he had a Christmas gift for. Right, he told Chuck Person, "I have a Christmas gift for you." Before the game, shoots the ball with the ball still in the air, turns around, looks right at Person, and goes, "Merry fucking Christmas!" and runs down the court, and the ball snaps through the net. <laughs> that is, dude, that's a level of confidence I don't think I would ever have in my life. It's so great. I think it's so funny. But there's stories like that all the time. He he, I I have to tell this other one too. He he's playing against the Jazz and. He's running around and he's going, he's got like, I'm trying to find the stats here, but he's got, you know, he's made like 12 or 13 shots in a row and no one's, no one can stop him. And oh, here it is. He goes, uh, he turns every time he turns around and shoots, it's going and he runs by the bench and the head coach at that time is, uh, is Frank Layden. And he turns to Frank Layden, who's the head coach. And he goes, he goes, that last one was a heat check just to see how hot I am. And, uh, he looks at Frank, he goes, Hey Frank, you don't have any guys on this bench who can guard me? <laughs> and Frank Layden, who eventually, re- I think he retired, and Jerry Sloan took over him. Frank Layden looks down the bench at all his guys and goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, goodness. So happy birthday, belated birthday, Larry Bird. And God bless you. Bird man. It's uh, a good segue for our next topic, though. Yeah. The trash talking. Last night, we saw the... Uh, well, Thursday night now, I guess, depending on when you're listening. We watched the Oakland Raiders and Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, man. That was the biggest, biggest game uh, probably in the last... Uh, yeah, I don't really remember anything memorable about Thursday Night Football from last year. There have I don't remember one. Thursday Night Football is just... An, is, it needs to go away. We've, we've discussed this on on podcast, uh, you know, in the, in our own... Each other's homes. Thursday Football is horrible. Um, you know, I think... I, I would hope it would go away. I think I think it's there's on the a table petition eventually. out there. I would sign it today, right now, this minute. And I would say, you know, if you if you weren't paying attention, the Chiefs ended up winning that game twenty one thirteen. Yes. Um, and uh, I would say that, you know, part of the, r- the reason why the Raiders lost is because they didn't have a full week of recovery for Carr's hand. You can't, uh, yeah, his, mean, you can't tell me that his pinky didn't have something to do with their performance last night. No, you, they they showed it in this in, and he. Went under center like three times. Yeah. And one of the times he panicked and went back to shotgun. Yeah. Um, you can see how he was holding the ball in shotgun. You can see everything. And, and you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my dialogue with this, that if the season ended last night or if that was the game, that was a playoff game, 
I would still be happy with the Raiders' season. They've made huge strides. Sure. Um, they still show levels of discipline issues. We talked about that with penalties before we started recording. Um, but they also, you know, the, the the defense that got all that talk isn't as good as it should have been. Yeah, I've been... Or as it was on paper. But how many times... I mean, this is not a Raiders problem. This is a... This is an NFL problem. How many times have you heard about how good an offense, a defense, uh, a running back, whatever, should be on paper, and it doesn't translate? That's that's what makes NFL storylines. That's what makes these these great comebacks, these great teams. When other team falls short, that should be as really as good as everyone says they should have been. Yeah, um, I think you know. You I, know, I think I, I have maintained throughout most of the season that. You know, there are a lot of talented guys on that defensive side of the football, and I just thought that it was going to take some time for them to come together. And, you know, they went out last week, they gave up 500 yards of total offense to, right. the, to the Bills, you know. And to their to their credit, though, they did a great job stopping the run, but they just gave up on 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 the on the pass. In, I mean, which, they, in which game? Last night. Oh, last night, yeah. They did a, they did a decent job stopping the run. Yeah, I, I think because they, you know, they made a very clear commitment to have Alex Smith beat them down the field because yes. Khalil oh, Mack has played so well, right? God, and yeah, he forced, you know, he got beast. two turnovers there essentially, right? One of them because he rushed the pass, the other one because he forced the fumble. You know, I think, um, you know, you just, they've had some injuries there. I, I'm not really sure, like, uh, they need to get the pass rush better. I don't think they're at the bottom of the league in sacks anymore, but they're near the bottom still. Um, I don't think they're last in the league anymore. No, know. no, no, they weren't. And that's just because, as as we mentioned early on, you know that that's the the Mac historically, and they showed a slide last night. Yeah, two different slides, and not only does he does he start getting hot as the season goes on, and it's usually week five and week six when he starts picking up this his progress. He also gets hotter as the as the game goes on. He gets yeah. hotter in the he second. Just wears half. you down, right. right? And I think you know we've talked about this on the show probably a hundred times. Your secondary is only as good as your pass rush is, right? right? And so they have not been able to consistently put pressure on quarterbacks. And I said, you know, I think we talked about this before. Actually, we talked about this on on Wednesday. You know, Alex Smith is at his best when there's rhythm. It's three steps, five steps, five steps. Ball is out. He can make multiple reads, but there's short routes. If you let him, if you let him just kind of pick you apart. Five yards, nine yards, seven you know, yards, yeah. one one seam route. You know he'll make just enough deep throws to keep you honest. You know if you can force him out of the pocket, they don't have enough wide receivers that can win one on one battles in a broken play situation. Everything is so predicated on rhythm, and they never really like when they did get him out of the pocket. They you know they were able to sort of you know they put pressure on him. They were able to force the fumble. He threw the interception, but everything else, you know, they just they. They dared him to beat them, and they just stacked up against the run. They did a great job there, but you know the special teams obviously didn't show up. They had what, the punt return for a touchdown, the the, the botched field goal, right? Um, well, and that you know the problem with that that punt return for a touchdown is that they challenged they challenged the fastest guy in the NFL after yeah. they got called back on the penalty. They already went down the field one time, yeah, and they went down there, so now they're tired. They did the exact same thing. That dude was like was shot out of a cannon. He yeah. was unreal how fast that. I mean, guy that's was like moving. that's like a Devin Hester. Yeah, move like you don't you don't kick the Devin Hester, well, and now you're not you're not kicking the Tyree Kelly. That's just something you're not doing. You know, and you and I talked about this. You and I talked about this on Wednesday. You know, uh, my feeling was that if you're the Raiders, your offense is good enough to beat the Chiefs' defense 
50% of the time, right? It's 50-50. That's how good the Chiefs' defense is. Yes. So it was going to come down to whether or not the defense was going to spot the Chiefs 21 points. And they didn't spot them 21, but they spotted them 18, you know? Right. And that it just became a situation where you're not going to win enough matchups against that Chiefs' defense to be able to do that. And I think, um, you know, moving forward, I, I'm surprised by... I just I thought we would see more of the... Um, you know Denver Broncos game plan just muscle these dudes around. And I, thought, I thought that too, but you know the 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 key missing ingredients to that uh, was on the on the offensive line with Osemele being out. He's a big factor. Yeah, Him and Penn make big holes, so it killed the running game. Then on the other side of the ball, uh, which really has been part of the reason why our or the defense hasn't been as good as they've were uh, supposed to be is that Mario Edwards Jr. is still out. Right. Um, you know, you can... The, the the Alvin Smith conversation isn't even a point. And they haven't even met with, what's going on with that? He hasn't even met with the commissioner he yet. He met with him today. Oh, my they God. They met today. Have we heard anything about that? Uh, no, they're going to decide if he's eligible for reinstatement. So, best case scenario... So, to get off on a tangent, best case scenario, they say at any point... They could say Monday morning that he's eligible... He still has to fill out the application. He still has to right. list. There's a number of things. There's five steps he has to do in this process. He has to then complete all those steps and get it done. Uh, and then they have to weigh and decide on it. There's no way he's coming back this season. If he does, it'll be a miracle. Yeah. And I'm quite honestly, I'm okay with that. Um, I think he disrupted the defense last year when he came in. I think it, it stifled Mac a little bit. It just set off because now you have this big name. And he comes in today. Who's the bigger name right now? Mac is. Yeah. He's still a, he's still a force. Don't get me wrong. He clearly is in in great physical shape, but I think he needs to get in football shape, and those are two different things. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, um, I appreciate his loyalty to the Raiders. He says he doesn't play for anyone else. He won't. I mean, obviously the money talks. He's going to go somewhere if someone offers him money. But he's uh, no. I think he's him coming back will be big. Um, Edwards Jr., who's just a beast of a man. That dude is a monster. Yeah. Those things really affected the defense. Um, I don't think Sean Smith is panning out. I think there's a lot of reasons. You know, we also had, uh, or they also had Carl Joseph, who's a rookie safety. You know, that's that should not have lost the game for, for the Oakland Raiders, but uh, it definitely has a factor. You know, at the end of the day, the Chiefs' defense, and we've said this, Time and time again, you'll hear it again in January when we celebrate our one-year podcast, which is a weird thing. But defense, you know, those battles are won in the trenches. Defense will win Super Bowls, and these guys have it. There's no doubt in my mind that they will play again. Um, But here's, you know, this is the spin I'm going to take on it. You know, the Raiders don't have... Uh, they don't have an easy schedule. They've got three more games, one at home, two away. Two of them are division rivals in San Diego and Denver. Uh, the one at home is the Colts, who are playing very well. Yeah, so that's a tough That's a tough one. That's a tough one. They're probably going to win two out of the three, best-case scenario. So they're wild card now. I mean, you know, they this game, if they had won, holy moly, easy street, it would have set a I – mean, they still would have tough games, but – Kansas City's schedule is pretty easy. They've got the Titans. I want to say they have Titans, Chargers. They have Titans, uh, Broncos, Chargers. So yeah. they're going to win two out of the three. 
Um, it's just, I, you know, I, I think that this just um, completely encapsulates the Raiders' year where these come-from-behind wins, which I'm not a big fan of. I mean, I think they're great once in a while, but you can't, you can't be known as that team, and unfortunately they are. Now you've got a come-from-behind playoff opportunity. So I, I don't want to, like, completely derail. Yes. I just was I was looking at uh, – because I, I wanted to see, like, where Sean Smith graded out with pro football focus. Mm-hmm. They mark him as the 12th best corner in the league. They say that uh, – I'll read what they say. This is as of – yeah, this is going – this is uh, going into week 13. Wow. So they say uh, – and it actually makes a lot of sense. Sean Smith begins a run of players that have played very well this season but have some bad games in their tape. Yes. In, in the opening game of the season, Smith was torched by Brandon oh. Cooks for a 98-yard touchdown. He's benched. And 183 yards overall by New Orleans. Since then, he has given up only 282 yards uh, in nine games. That's an average of just 31.3 yards. Uh, um, 31.3 yards per game. In two of those games, Smith didn't surrender a single catch. And in two more, he only allowed one reception. Smith has now gone eight straight games without surrendering a touchdown catch, and I don't think he gave up that one to what's his name last night either, Tyree Kill. Um, I think that was on the other side of the ball. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I know that he was such a high-priced. You know, and look at that. David Emerson is the thirteenth-ranked guy right behind him. And Emerson got burned. Actually, he was at, that's who got burned. He dropped this when they on that play. Emerson dropped in to try to cover the tight end. Try to cover Kelsey, who we'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, he dropped, he covered in, and then went single coverage, and then TJ Carey got burned. So this is looking at this is according to Pro Football Focus. Now, and I, you know, you're looking at those things, guys in a vacuum. Right? This is the same. This is the exact same conversation that we just had about Odell Beckham Jr. In right. my my appearance, like I'm not saying that Sean Smith, I is he worth the money? Clearly not. But I think he's worth. He's still a valuable player. I think he'll remain. I think they'll get better. Well, it's tough. You know, with this pro football focus grades, they're looking at a lot of this stuff in a vacuum, right? Like, it's not necessarily, like, they're looking primarily at balls thrown in that direction. Right. Like, you know, actual, like, targets in that direction. They're not talking about, like, who's not filling the zone, you know, when they're playing it too deep. Or, like, you know, if they're in a full zone coverage, like, if you're out of position, you know, if you're a step behind, it's not necessarily thrown at you, but you're the one that's supposed to be helping over the top. Like some of that stuff, like I love pro football focus. I read it every week, but I do think that they do leave some things to be um, desired because it is kind of an, a little bit more of like an arcane grading system. Um, but yeah, we, you know, like I said, you're looking at this and it tells you one story that these two guys, it, it is a situation it feels like with the Raiders that, You've got great individual performances that just has not come together on the back end of that defense. You know, Khalil Mack is another example. The guy's having a beastly season, but you could, you know, they play. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Raiders' defense played well. I mean, you take the, you take the the, the punt return out of the equation last night. You know, and they don't, they only gave up fourteen points. Right. You know, so, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's, it's for the Raiders. You have to be excited about the growth you've seen. How many times this year have we said, "Ah, oh, five years ago, that's a ra- that's a game that they oh, lose." Absolutely, every time. This would five years ago, they would be sitting at, you know, this would be like a six win or seven win season. Yeah, so it would be horrible. Yeah, uh, and so I think you look at that. You got to be really excited about that, but you have to know that 
you know, now especially you're going to go. They're going to have to as a wild card team. They're going to go on the road somewhere, right? They're not going to host a playoff game, you know. So and you can't, you know, Chiefs, Broncos, Steelers, Patriots, you know, Chiefs, Broncos, Steelers, Patriots, Raiders, and who else is likely to make it? Oh, uh, the Colts or the Texans, right? You about the only team you could spot 21 points to and expect to come back and win is going to be the Colts. Right? That's the only team that you could considerably say that because their defense is not good. You can't if you if you give up 21 points, you get down 21 to 3 in the first half to one of those other teams, that's it. You're done. And they've had made a habit of that here recently. You know, and they've been able to come back. They just against one of the top-tier teams last night they couldn't do it. Right. And again, this is one of those things where with that dynamic of an offense, they should get out and start slinging the ball right away and be, be up two touchdowns. Right. And let the defense work. I think my prediction for next year, I think Norton Jr. is out. I think he goes back to either being a coach. He's not a good coordinator because if you notice, the defense does their best work in the second half. And I am willing to bet what's in my wallet right now, which isn't very much. But I'm willing to bet that you go in there and Jack Del Rio, who's a defensive-minded coach, goes in there and and steps in. Because if you noticed in week seven or eight, there was a a write-up saying that how, how... you know, Jack Del Rio is now more involved in the defense. He goes in, tells them the adjustments they need to make, and all of a sudden they start playing better. I just, I think, the, I think that that uh, Norton Jr. is punching out of his weight class. I think he's an amazing linebackers coach, but I don't think he's a coordinator. I don't think he has Interesting. The capacity. Interesting. If uh, anyone's the, the, our four listeners, you heard it here first. So when ESPN starts talking about it, I think he gets at least another year. I think probably. I could see that, but I, I was one of those things where, man, and I just, you know, there's just so many things I could have, should have, would have. But at the end of the day, like I said earlier, if the season ended today, I'm not upset. I'm happy with the progress. I love the direction they're going in. I love seeing, to me, I feel like they're the most uh, unified team. They're probably the best sense of the word team. They're all... You know, they're, they're celebrating each other. There's not these lone guys sitting on benches. There's not, you know, when when Cooper scores a touchdown or Crabtree scores a touchdown, Carr is sprinting down to them. Right, right. To high-five and hug them. It reminds me very much of kind of Brett Favre back in the day, a little bit of Aaron Rodgers. You know, Tom Brady, when he scores a touchdown, he walks out the field. Unless it's a miraculous play, he doesn't go down and celebrate with those guys. Right. He's, you could tell Tom, Tom Brady's a, a different level. And he yeah. keeps he keeps a distance from the He's other player. He's thrown him before. He'll throw him again. Right, it, and he has zero fucks given. None, none. But that's the thing is, I I feel like he's so sterile. And that's part of the reason why people hate him. Yeah, you know, and and you know, Carr is obviously a, you know, the last last night's game completely got him out of the MVP race. That you know, talk yeah. talk talk. I mean, that just now he's done. It's interesting. So you you know, you bring up Brady, right? People hate him. You have a new least, you know, a new most hated player. I do. In your, you know, I do. In your life. I've, I mean, I've, keep in mind, I've got an arsenal of players. I right, hate. but this is you have you said today. This is the guy that you now hate the most. Yes. Um, is it be, is it because he's he got his own reality show for? No, that's nothing. Well, no, but I do love the fact that Marquette King talks shit back to him on Twitter sure. about it. Sure. Uh, no, I, 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 the thing is, um. One of the things I hate most in football is it's, you know, when I say the celebration, it's not a, like the touchdown celebration doesn't bother me. The quarterback sacked celebration doesn't bother me. 
What bothers me is the first down completion celebration. And I don't care who does it. You know, if you stand up, point in the hand, okay, whatever. It's the over-celebration at that point that makes my blood boil. Even on my team, even on, on, on anyone's team, I just like, okay, I get it, but that is your job. Drop the ball, get back in. And he went so, he was Rambo last night. He was going crazy over plays that were good. They weren't, they weren't highlight reel. They weren't amazing catches. I think you're looking at the result of the play. I, this is like the fifth time I've said it in a vacuum. But I think you're looking at it. Think about what what took place to get to that situation, right? He had to stay in. He's got to block somebody like Khalil Mack, help out there, right? He's getting chipped by linebackers. It's a big physical offense. He's catching the ball over the middle. It's Thursday night, division rival oh, at I, home. I get it. It's, playoff contention. He's it's got, a big they're, they're deal, going dude. to first. They're in first place now. That's a big deal. It's a deal. big deal. I don't want to steal Daniel Tosh's God. line completely. Just do his job. His job is to catch a ball, man. It's a game. I like, understand it's a game. But it's one of those things like it just, every time he did that, it drove me crazy. Sure, because it was typically then, move the chains. Right. I get it. Then, the part that the part that drove me crazy is so Tyreek Hill runs that the 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 kickoff return back uh or the punt back rather uh Marquette King got crossed up you watched it yeah Marquette King ran the whole way down and he goes and gives he gives Tyreek Hill like a little attaboy King was respectful in that aspect he didn't hug him but you could tell he got and he chirped in his ear and gave him a little like a little pat on the back like hey you know you totally caught me on that one then here he comes like a bludgering idiot comes in there and starts mocking him and doing we his have said dance. on the show that we think it's funny when guys do the discount double check to Aaron Rodgers we've said that before we think that kind of stuff is hilarious you're gonna leave yourself open to that kind of stuff if that's what you're Absolutely. gonna do and this is the same it's the same thing I I don't remember saying that I think it's funny I I, I know we've talked about the discount double check thing um but it, so but the difference is, to me the difference is and this is we could, I could be splitting hairs here. Is so, you know, another team plays Aaron Rodgers. They don't run over to where he is on the bench. They don't run over to where he is and do a discount double check in front of him. I, I that's only happened very few times. They'll do a they'll do a discount double check, right? Right. But Kelsey goes by, like throws the shoulder and then does it right in front of him. This and this and this. They got an excessive celebration penalty. No big deal. Hey, I get it. It's a big play. I just didn't care for his demeanor. And then uh, towards the end of the game, he was just, I mean, just running his mouth, this and that. And I get it. It's a big game. I'm sure his emotions took over. But now he's just my most hated player. And I I don't want to see him get hurt, but I want to see him get lit up. I want to see, I don't, I want to see him drop a key play. I want to see him, (laughs) I want to see him foul up. It's one of those things like, hey man, I get it. You're a good player. I get it. You're like another Gronkowski you know, you're this big, huge dude that's got amazing hands. You can block. You can do all these things. And now the tight end play is so important in the NFL that you're going to be utilized more and celebrated more. And Especially I in that offense. Yeah. So I, I get it. I just still don't like it. It's one of those things. Thus ends this week's segment of Blatant Homerism, brought to you by Discount Double Check. <laughs> yeah. Brought to you <laughs> and, by State Farm. And Genuine's Pony album. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know, goodness. man. I, listen, I... Like the one time that I can legitimately say that I was like so turned, like just turned off by somebody's response to something was when the Seahawks beat the Niners 
in the NFC title game. Sherman makes the big play, and he just let Crabtree have it. And now we since know that Crabtree apparently handled himself like a punk on like an off-field situation between right. the two of them, right? And I know that. But still, even with that, the way that he went on the microphone immediately after the game in an emotional state and then went into the press conference and did the same thing. Yeah. was I mean, he was keyed up. Yeah. And listen, I have since changed my opinion on Richard Sherman. I, you know, and even before that, I thought some of his antics on the field were funny. But I think, you know, some of this stuff, I, I understand where those guys are coming from. It is a game that is, it is a battle of wills and it is a war of attrition. And when you come through on the winning end of a play, let alone a big play that's like a first down in a game that's already tightly fought, right? Uh, that's already tightly, t- tightly fought. I, I understand being excited about all that. And I also think that, like, if, if you had watched that game take place and it was somebody else's punter that does the Marquette King routine, somebody else's punter does it, and then you watch that thing, like, we'd be laughing about that, I think. And so I understand, like, yeah, you hate that he did it because he got you, right? Oh, As a yeah, it's fan. a total zinger. Like, he, but he got you. Thing. Fuck you. Yeah. I but, just, uh, it's, you, you know. King leaves himself open for that kind of stuff. You're going to dance around Absolutely. like a maniac. That's what's going to happen, I think. But also, too, I think that, you know, you look at the, um, the guy from the Colts. The punter from the Colts started doing his own, like, tried to dance, yeah, too. And it's, it's like funny. the dance-off between the two. You're going to see that. That's going to be a spinoff in the offseason. I guarantee it. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. Yeah. You know, some of this stuff, I get it, dude. It's a hard-fought game, right? It's Thursday night. Like You know, as much as I give, you know, Kelsey credit, or, you know, I'm willing to give Kelsey or some a lot of these guys the benefit of the doubt, you know, um, the benefit of the doubt in a situation like that. Because, you know, I can't even fathom, like, the amount of emotion that takes place on that field. Right, I know what it feels like sitting on the couch during a critical game, or at least I used to know. Um, <laughs> Sorry. You know, and I, I know how you felt last night, right? Um, you know, we we joked yesterday or on Wednesday. You know, you were talking about how nervous you were for the game and how I excited was, you I were. I was, and I I just remember we joked. Just I like had we, to apologize to my kids last night because I was such a short fuse. Yeah, I was putting up with nothing last night. Yeah, I you know we joked about it during Game Seven of the World Series. You know. And I, I immediately harken back to it when we were talking about it on Wednesday. But sports are the worst. <laughs> like, oh yeah, they're the best and they're the worst. It's like you know, you're you hate this guy that you've never met for being excited that he did his job, <laughs> right? Yeah, and so, exactly. And I'm sure you know what if I was invited to his home or whatever, I'm sure he'd be a super nice dude. And I met a few, you know, I've met a couple NFL players in my time, and the people, you know, and this is like a perfect example. I mean, this is Romanowski, right? Who I hated with a passion want to drive a shovel through his face he spat in jj stokes face yes and called him yeah uh, not a very nice name right minute he comes to the raiders i'm okay with it but <laughs> i meet him face to face post post football and he's one of the nicest guys ever really and it was sure. just cool you know so it's one of those things like you're you're you know like you said sports is the worst it makes you hate people that you shouldn't um, and the word hate is very, I use that loosely. And I'm not suggesting that like we should excuse some people's behavior because they're actually a nice guy off the field. I just think that that particular behavior isn't that big of a deal. Oh, like, no, it's not. No, you know, this is totally me still being better than they lost. Yeah, you look That's, at, like, like for example, like you look at like what happened with USC Notre Dame a couple weeks ago and the Notre Dame player stepping on the USC player's face yes. like multiple times in that game. Like that kind of stuff is the stuff that you, of course, like... You know, he's upset. Like, you're allowed to be upset. You're just not allowed to act like that. Right, right, right. And right. I, I think this goes hand in hand with the bat flip conversation we had, you know, on the show a oh, while back. Oh, yeah. Same idea. Like, it's an exciting thing. You're, We've you had know, that bat flip conversation many times. Yeah. You're, We've only recorded it once. Yeah. You're allowed to be excited, uh, you know, about certain things. And I think, you know, it, it's. If he had gone over and, like, you know, 
I don't know. I I think we're I'm kind of beating a dead horse. Yeah, here, yeah. It, 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 we've already talked this thing through, but yeah, it's one of those things where it still just rubbed me. Uh, but there's you know I, I will. I mean, let's take a quick break. But I think we need to talk about that. You know, now my new hatred for him, um, which is again a loose term. Uh, there's some players out there that we both don't that we individually don't care for. And you don't right. want to watch. Right. Well, I yeah, there are some players out there that I don't really care for. That is for sure. But I, um, actually, yeah, w- we're going to talk about this when we get back. But I, I think, um, I yeah, I think we're I think we're going to we're going to change some people's opinions. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. That's the hope every time, and just like Facebook with political posts. Yeah. Everyone stays the same. People just yell louder and get more upset about their opinion. Yeah, I think that that's Until fair. Until today. We'll be right fair. back. Sports Beats Beer. If that, maybe two. You don't know how long we've been away. Twenty twenty seconds with the music interlude. Days, weeks, minutes. Who knows how long we've been away? Hours. Eons. How long are we ever really? Nano minutes. Yeah. So we were talking before we took the break. We were talking. uh, Well, let's let's talk about this beer that we have in front of us first. Let's. That's a good idea. Let me just go ahead and stop myself. So, (laughs) I'm going to let you tell the story because this was your trip. Yeah, so we uh, took the general managers uh, from the restaurants out on a little excursion on Thursday this past week. Um, we got a chance to go at graciously hosted and driven by uh, Pickles from Columbia, John Martinez, uh, Andy Peterson. Oh, I don't know John and Andy went. Mm-hmm. Nice. So uh, we got the, uh, we were very fortunate. We went to a couple of different breweries, we went to Cali Craft in Walnut Creek, and we went to. 21st Amendment, the 21st Amendment Brewery, which is in San Leandro. Um, the 21st Amendment Brewery was awesome. Very cool to see, like, beer being brewed on that type of scale. You know, uh, like, to see craft beer being made. We watched, you know, they were doing stuff on the canning line, and it was pretty fun. The Cali Craft tap room, though, was easily the best, like, flight, beer-tasting flight program I've ever been a part of. Um, okay. The 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 owner sort of head brewer his name's Blaine he did not give us his last name though which is peculiar maybe his name's really Frank I don't know maybe it's Blaine Gabbard could be unlikely uh anyway he gave us the full rundown kind of gave us the it was cool because he gave us the history of like the company like how he started he started by brewing in his dorm room at Berkeley and which his, is how he came up with the Berserkly yeah so he so the Berserkly uses champagne yeast and in, at the time that he was figuring it out he uh couldn't go in and buy champagne yeast because he was under the age of 21 now you can buy it because you're not technically buying alcohol you're just buying yeast you could bake with it if you wanted right and so but at the time the rule or the laws were still a little hazy so he went and he went and got like a buddhist like rambler from telegraph avenue gave him 10 bucks to go in and buy a bunch of different champagne yeast so that he could make his uh, so he gave us the full rundown which is pretty awesome he said fuck like every other word which kind of endeared him to me personally <laughs> Um, the tap room is cool. One of the walls is all barrel staves from 
all of the like the oh yeah, you're looking at the picture right there. Yeah, on their uh, their website, which is uh, CaliCraft C A L I C R A F T dot com, and the tap room tab. You can see all the staves. It looks pretty awesome. It's cool. They called it the scratch and sniff wall because it's all barrel staves that they've used in some form. They were tequila barrels and rum barrels. Chard- and probably, it looks like they have some Chardonnay stuff, too. There was all kinds of stuff in there, yeah. Um, but anyway, give us the full rundown. And, you know, to be honest with you, the the beers, we carry the Oaktown Brown in one of the restaurants. I think it's a great beer. Um, the Berserkly is not really my style. Um, but the City IPA they do is nice, and the Dub C... That they do the double IPA that they do is really nice. They they have some great beers. I was blown away though. Everybody that was in our group all said, I'm not really a sour drinker. We all left thinking, eh, maybe I am a sour drinker. Oh really? Yeah, dude. Which they, one did you have? We had the he did a pe- they had a peach one that was really good and then a mango one that was amazing. And then he took the uh he took the peach sour and then mixed it half and half with the cool kids IPA. And it was unreal. It was so good. Just poured half and half into a glass. I can imagine, dude. I mean, it's blending beers now is such a, you know, something that it's like next level stuff. He told us that uh, one of his favorite things to do back before, you know, craft beer up here got really big uh, was he would take Death and Taxes and he would take Racer 5 and he would mix them half and half. He called it the Death Race. And he said that just something about like the malt bill and both those beers, like it tied together so nice. Yeah. Said it was just unbelievably good. So now, of course, it piqued all of our interest. And so now we want to do that. <laughs> we we want to get our hands on some and try it. But um, I brought two beers back. I got two growlers. They're gracious enough to supply us with two growlers. We actually, uh, I talked to him briefly yesterday uh, while we were there about um, maybe going down there and doing a Q and A Q&A with him and maybe getting him on the show. He said he was definitely interested. Just got to give him about a week's notice. So nice. Um, that might be a fun thing. So I brought the, uh, they have Oaktown, which is a brown ale. They have the Mocha Oaktown, um, and that's what we're that's what we're sampling here. That's what I've almost consumed in my pint glass. What's that? So that's what I've consumed almost entirely. Yeah. Uh, so this is like there. It's like a mocha vanilla, or like a chocolate vanilla coffee brown ale, basically. Um, the thing that I love about it is so many of these beers that ha- say they have vanilla smell of vanilla extract. This has the real bean. This smells see, like can, s- right when you scrape open vanilla bean. Right, right, right. Exactly. I, and it's you really have to. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm gonna allow you to kind of jump in more on this because of my illness. But like, I really have to bury my nose and take a deep, deep dive into the aroma to get that vanilla. But once you do, it like unlocks like a door. It really, in you my opinion, really, really taste it. Or my experience with this is that the vanilla doesn't become apparent. Until, except in the mouthfeel, like you, you think of vanilla, and you think of this soft, like luscious, like you know, like rich, creamy vanilla ice cream. And so, for some reason, like that type of mouthfeel permeates for me. And then this, the smell of vanilla lingers in your nose after you're done drinking this. Like I think it's like a really like yeah. I don't, I, I don't get any of that, but I, I think I blame that on my cold more than anything else. There's a nice like there's like a nice sort of coffee roasty malt flavor to this yeah, that lingers. Yeah, yeah. There's also like a spiced chocolate thing going on in it as well, and I think that's mostly just from the vanilla itself. Well, I think um, that's yeah, that's oh boy. I mean, I'm God, just a couple a couple degrees warmer when you pour this out like 15 minutes ago, and now I'm and now maybe it's because I kind of unlocked that vanilla bean smell, but I I totally pick up with the mouthfeel, the creaminess of the mouthfeel. Like you just really really get that. I don't know if I necessarily get the spice. 
uh, that's the part I'm kind of missing. Um, but I do the malt. The malt bill is, is wonderful. It really complements the vanilla. It complements that, you know, the cocoa. It's not bitter like we've talked about with some of the mocha mocha beers like the um, uh, the one we had in the can the other day, a couple of weeks, couple episodes ago. That one has really like more oh, of yeah. a baker's chocolate bitterness. Yeah. And this has none of that. This is all like the, just the sweetness, but it's smooth, it's subtle. Velvety it's not, sweet. Yeah. Semi-sweet and chocolate, it, yeah. And the same thing with like, you know, when when you talk about like real vanilla versus like vanilla, you know, French vanilla coffee creamer or French vanilla anything. You really, really, it's just so sweet and so, it sits on your palate and kind of coats your mouth. And this does the exact opposite. I mean, it's so subtle. It's so light-handed. Yeah, because you could really probably get away. You could with this beer, it'd be hard to to go from, you know, a, enough to too much. I'm sorry, it would be very easy to go from a, a, enough to too much. Yes, very easy, and it's it's perfectly balanced. Yeah, I just uh, this beer, you know, it really caught me not by surprise, but it really grabbed me. Um, I wanted to make sure that I brought it. They were talking some. They were talking about some cool things. They're making. They're they're talking about like being able to prolong the. Shelf life on some of their IPAs, yeah. Um, because by not adding quite so much like bittering hop at the end and making hop bitters and adding that over time to preserve like a consistency for longer, they were talking about making like hop bitters and like oak bitters and things like that and being able to add th- a few drops of that into a batch as opposed to like trying to create oh, okay. that in the brewing process. So it was just more of an extract. Yeah, it was very cool the way that like you know like you could make like we could make like cherry vanilla bitters here in your garage using. Right. Well, a handful of ingredients. So they're they're talking about doing the same thing. It's very cool, very very cool stuff. You know that really speaks to uh, the conversation we had just a, you know a little under a week ago um, in regards to like knee deep brewing. Who you know I'm a big, I'm a fan of, um, but their beer is best served when it's fresh, when it's extremely yeah. fresh, and that's the biggest thing is that they you know with the the distri- distribution network and. Everything else, um, you know, you don't always get the freshest beer. Sometimes it sits for, you know, 40 days before you get it. And that's when you lose a lot of that fidelity of the hop, right. the taste of the hop. Uh, this is, or that would be, that if you could somehow maintain the stability, yet, you know, prolong that shelf life, prolong that time would be awesome. Yeah. I, uh... I was they they were doing some really cool stuff with you know this the way they were doing sours and doing those champagne yeasts and just uh well you know very the, very eye opening the the champagne yeast um you know has been done before um I'm not you know I'm not suggesting that they they're the first ones to do it but you know that's one of those things where it, a lot of times it gets overly complicated complicated for brewers to do that you know it's champagne yeast is so delicate to begin with, you have to have ideal conditions, and you also have to have uh, a brewer that cares and a lab that's on point. Because you know, when that yeast starts, would that lab have to have Bunsen burners in it? Probably. Oh, I guarantee it does. Yeah, a lot of test tubes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely centrifuge a of some sort. Oh, multiple. Okay, um, but it's one of those things where you know, I mean, any we've said it before, any good brewery worth its salt is going to have a, a great lab. They know that's where the consistency is going to start and finish. Um, but with especially with like a, a champagne yeast like that, where you know usually with beer beer yeast you can stop its progression at a certain temperature, 
and champagne yeast works a little differently. Um, and if you get, you know, I mean, everyone's had that champagne bottle or seen that champagne bottle explode or that beer that's over carbonated. And you mix that with beer and it's just, it's bad. It's, it could go bad very quickly. And that's the thing is, it, it, you know, you know, for these guys, once it leaves their, their brew facility, they hope that the temperature is controlled throughout. They right. hope all those things. And that, that's not always the case. Right. And that could really, 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 you know, damage the product that they're putting all this time into. But I, I would I would love to try that. I'm I'm always a big fan of trying those. Especially that, you know, that the drier champagnes. So where you have a beer that almost becomes cidery, you know, and it you get that that dry, slight alcohol burn. Totally into it. Love it. Yeah. Very cool. Two thumbs way up, I'd say, on the uh, the mocha. Oak Two thumbs tone. up, way up, way up. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about with the uh, their flight and their tastings or their tap room? Because the tap room is in Walnut Creek, correct? Yes, okay. it is in Walnut Creek. It's cool. It's a small. It's you a do sp- that while I get into the next beer. Yeah, of course. It's a small little space. It was um, you know, like I said, I, it was just it was very intimate. Um, you know, it was, there was our little group of um, eight, and then. You know, the brewer, and then the R the R and D brewer, and then the owner, and it was just you know we have we're fortunate we have you know some uh, our managers are all you know constantly seeking to improve, and they have a uh, a thirst for knowledge, as it were. So so a couple of our managers in particular asked a lot of questions, and uh, that validated us as a company a little bit because it shows that we weren't just a bunch of clowns looking to get loaded there. Free and ride, also, yeah, exactly, and also it. Uh, it also engaged, you know, Blaine and I believe that the R and D brewer's name is David. I apologize in advance for not remembering, but um, wait, 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 back up. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. You're telling me David Blaine? Yeah, could be. Was there? So, um, have you seen the th- thing he did with the frogs? By the way, where he, he swallowed the frogs and then puked them back up or something? Yeah, it's gross. Anyway, um, it was cool because you know they were asked, like, you know, our guys were asking legit questions. And so that it engages them further, and so then it becomes like a real conversation, you know. Well, um, you know, think about. It, I mean, how many times these guys kind of give the same spiel? Yeah, to the same tasting room, which uh, looks like they're. Uh, if you're if you're interested, their tap room is open Wednesday through Sunday. The website's not bad. No, it's cool. No, the I, you know, not bad. It, it you know the the upside to it, it's very detailed about their beers, uh, and their story, their location, everything else. Uh, the downside is that it's hard. If you're going to look on the website for their beers being served in the tap room, you're not going to find it. So you just got to trust that they'll have something awesome, which is probably, I mean, selling by by the sounds of it, it sounds like it's a safe bet. We had a, yeah, it's definitely a safe bet. We had a great team. Highly recommend checking it out. Uh, even in the rain, driving all the way down from Sonoma County, it was still worth it. Oh, man, that was a long day, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're getting. Let's get into this next beer now. What do we? What do you? Uh, well, what are we this, here, buddy? this beer. There's a cool story behind this one, and not so much the beer or the of what it is, as much as how it got here. Um, so this is brewed by McKellar, Sir Ian McKellar. Uh, no, and McKellier. I'm sorry, I mispronounced that. McAleer. Um, Machiavelli. Um, so this Illuminati. was released. I saw this beer released on Facebook. Twelve gauge shoddy. Um, and the reason it caught body. my eye is that it uh, it's got one of my favorite bands Ooh. on the uh, on the label. So they did a, a, a collaboration brew 
with uh, the Descendants, um, old school punk band. Um, and so I want you know, a big thank out, you know, thank you, big shout out to uh, to Paul and Krista, my old neighbors across the street who now live in San Diego. They came up on Thanksgiving weekend, and I had messaged her, and I said, hey, you know, if there's any way you can get this, get your hands on a bottle of this. It was limited release, bottle only, one per customer kind of thing. Uh, I'm keeping this bottle afterwards because it's, it's just, like one of their, just like one of their CDs. Um, but it, was, it looks awesome, and, and it's just it's one of those things. So I didn't know anything about the, the brewery before this. I just, okay, I saw that this was a cool label, which we'll put a picture of this on the uh, on our Sports Meets Beer Facebook page. Um, so this has got, <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Um, it, 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 this is a European company um, that did a, a joint venture in San Diego. So they've got essentially two friends, right? So uh, two guys are getting together, and they do this. Um, and this is from some McKellar from Europe, and then Alesmith, which is a San Diego right. beer. They merged together and did this beer. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where this, is, uh, this was released just on November 4th for San Diego Beer Week. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's awesome. So the, 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 the Mick Keller side has got tons of locations in Europe, um, very well respected. Um, I mean, that, that he, is, he is basically the Russian River Brewing of Europe and some of the proper countries, Denmark, things like that. They've got tap rooms all over the EU. Uh, and then the Alesmith side is a huge San Diego brand. They've been around since the late 80s. And, uh, you know, they're, in fact, they're one of the beers we're going to talk about later in the show when we uh, go over the beers that are the most popular beers from San Diego. Alesmith is one of them. Um, and, and, you know, the Descendants, if you don't know their music, um, this is very much, um, you know, this is a, a punk band. Gospel, gospel, gospel music, really. Christian. Yeah. Christian totally. spirituals. Totally. Um, this is very much like it's, um, you, you could call it pop punk, but I wouldn't dare. Um, this is like punk rock towards the end. They were formed in 78. Uh, they've, they've had, uh, three members for the longest time Then they dis disbanded. Uh, I'm sorry. The lead singer from that band broke up. They split up and he formed a band called all. And then they got back together, had another member join. So there's four members now. Um, it's been uh, 12 years since their last album. They've got a new record coming out to obviously pair with this beer, um, which is Hyper Hypercaphum Spazinate. Would you say the album is to pair with this beer, or is this beer to pair with the album? Um, this is uh, beer to drink music to. Stealing a line from Dogfish Head. <laughs> um, so this is a coffee IPA. Really can't find... Oh, there, never mind. I really can't find... Um, this is a seven seven point three percent coffee IPA. So um, in dark matter, um, coffee beans, which is a coffee house out of San Diego. Um, I mean, it's got a standard. I mean, you know, you look at it and you smell it, and it's got the standard look of an IPA. There's nothing. It's not overly dark, um, which to me is one of the most impressive things: is to transport flavors. You know, heavy heavy flavors, coffee flavors things like that and you still are able to get a nice great hue and color out of the beer you know this is this is not it doesn't even look like a you know like it's it's much lighter than like a racer five or Lagunitas ipa 
this thing is is you know um, dark yellowish in color, but really really cool. You know, it smells. You can smell a hint of coffee, but once you dive in, it's almost got. I want to say the the consistency of the jalapeno in that you know when you taste the jalapeno, I have green pepper or green bean right in there. That was the first thing I picked up. Right, and it and it spreads throughout your palate. So you, when you bite a jalapeno, whether it's a, a fresh or a pickled, you know you're biting one. Like the flavor. Kind of hits your mouth. and Because well, you see it. Well, no, no. What if you're eating in the dark? Oh, good point. Which or I do under, frequently. Under the covers. I, I do that a couple times. Yeah. Careless whispers in the dark. But uh, it's... Uh, no, you, you, you taste that. And you you definitely get that that brightness of a green chili. Um, like I said, I first went to jalapeno, but I think green chili is a better better way. Or even like maybe a... Maybe like a roasted bell pepper. Green, to- yeah, green bell green pepper. Green bell pepper. Yeah. yeah. Like just a little bit of like a blister on it. Yeah. Uh, I can totally see that. You know that's kind of a hard kind of kind of because it jacks up your palate. It goes, you know, you go with the look and the aroma because you don't get any of that green pepper in the nose, not at all. I disagree. Oh, do you? Yeah, you get it in the nose. I come well, on again. Maybe I'm because I'm sick. Yes. To the point yeah. where to the point where I, I was unsure if maybe I was still getting a mix of the other beer in it. And oh, it's really? Creating some kind of off flavor, but. I rinsed it with like twelve ounces of Coors Light. There's no way that that's the case. Do you think this is like the because like the, probably the closest pepper beer or or thing like this would be like the Ballast Point Habanero Sculpin, mm-hmm. which had way more heat, but it still had that peppery flavor. I don't get any like residual heat, but I do get. I do yeah. get that vegetable bitterness on the back of my palate. Yes, I do too. I it tastes like eating a raw green bean. And I don't. I'm not getting a ton of coffee. Are you? None. It's weird. And maybe, you know what, this could be something as well as it wasn't drank, consumed right away. It wasn't, uh, I don't know, kept cold. I don't, I, it's hard to say. I'd like, I mean, I should have looked up on Rape Beer before and see what they said. But, um, no, it's, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd oh, order it's not, it. It's unlikely. I mean, I've never seen Rape Beer give a fuck you before. That's crazy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, if you had told, if you had had me taste this blind, I would definitely would have said it's some sort of pepper, some sort of pepper IPA. I get a little bit of black pepper in it. I get a lot of green pepper. That says that can't be it. No, no, there, I'm just pulling up the name. Oh, okay. Um, I get a lot of like the you know the green pepper that blistered green bell pepper is a great is a great pull. Um, a lot of that sort of green jalapeno herbiness. Um, but I don't get a lot of roasty coffee. I don't. It's weird to me to see. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't pick up a lot of like any of like that roasty, like smoky coffee that you would look for in this. This is great podcast radio. Long pause. Yeah. Long. I'm just pause. trying to find this. I'm just rubbing my nipples right now. Just waiting. I will. I'll definitely get this out in post. <laughs> In other related sports news, Donald Trump considering Bobby Valentine as ambassador to Japan. <laughs> former um, manager of the New York Mets, former manager of the Boston Red Sox, former manager of the Texas Rangers, I believe. 
That's right. He made Vince McMahon's wife part of his uh, part of his yep. uh, panel. Or I mean, sorry, his cabinet. Thank you. Um, God, I wonder if I should just Google this shit. Untapped. There we go. No. Yeah, nothing. No reviews on this, unfortunately. We look untapped. Considering we have one of those accounts we don't ever use, it gets four to four to five stars. Three point nine. Um, let's see here. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people drinking it. Not many reviews. Um, very mellow with a coffee taste. It's a it's taint bad, but it's nice. <laughs> you should never use the word taint. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not getting anything about smooth, no coffee astringency. Not getting much coffee, which is interesting. I'm not getting any on on uh, the uh, the peppers or the the anything. So I don't know. It's interesting. It uh, it's definitely not what I expected. I'm still gonna keep the bottle. I would not drink this again. I can tell you right now. I wouldn't either. Yeah, I might even. I'm not even gonna finish it to be honest. Um, it's just too. Like you said it's like eating a raw, a raw green bean. It's just that that um, consistency and bitterness of a raw vegetable or pepper. Like I said, it's just it's too out there, um, and it doesn't to me. It doesn't deliver on the coffee at all. So it does. It's a total miss as far as a description of what I expect. But a seven percent beer that tastes like habaneros, like or uh, peppers rather. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, Good. This will make for a great segue. Good news, everyone. <laughs> the Adequate Man at Deadspin.com has released the 2016 <laughs> Hater's Guide to the Williams-Sonoma Catalog, and it is glorious. Of course it is. It is glorious. Let me just give you a small, small well, preview. Well, before we get into that, let's talk about some players that we don't... Uh, or is this taking priority? This is taking priority. I'm reading one. That's it. All right. It is a... Uh, antler Entertaining Collection. New sculptural antler-inspired pieces in polished nickel, finished aluminum, and stainless steel as a centerpiece for your table. Look at the picture of this thing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Drew says, that's 160 bucks to stick a fucking antler in the center of your table like a deer ran into your home and hid under your dining room table and then heard a frightening noise and jumped up and impaled his stupid antler in your table. How festive. Anyway, if I'm putting any antlers on the table, they're going to be real. None of these poser antlers for me. I'm taking down Bambi's mom and then making her head the centerpiece of my turkey dinner. Eat up, children. Don't mind the deer head looking into your soul. <laughs> Okie dokie. Oh, God, that's great. That is one of my favorite things that comes out every year. The Hater's Guide to the Williams-Sonoma Catalog. Oh, man. Speaking of the Hater's Guide... So we had this uh, conversation earlier. Haters are going to hate. Haters are going to hate. We had this conversation earlier in the show talking about um, Travis Kelsey um, and how you hated the way he carried himself in that game. Um, 
But we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and we've been waiting to kind of for the opportunity to bring it up on the show. Um, the Golden State Warriors played the Houston Rockets um, and lost in a double overtime game. Um, and I was watching the game, and I realized that James Harden, who is a great player, I want to get that out of the way right now. He is a great player. He's an impact player in the league. He's kind of an amazing beard. An amazing, amazing beard. Um, he's a little bit of a whiner, and he's kind of come across as a little like a, like a little a, bit of a flopper. Yeah, a little a kid at times. Um, you know, just the way that like when Curry won his first MVP, just the kind of way he went about it. Oh, he, yeah, he's, oh, just had like a putz. But he's a great player. He's the least entertaining basketball player. He's the least entertaining great player I've ever watched. I. He's the least enjoyable guy from. I can't stand to watch him. It's so un like, it's hard for me to appreciate, or like revel in his game. Like, like in the finals, for example, we watched LeBron James, you know, act like kind of a putz, and you know, and uh, you know they had this sort of back and forth, and Clay said maybe his feelings were getting hurt. Remember, he kind of stepped over Draymond and kind of baited Draymond into doing something stupid, and yeah. just kind of hit him like a putz. It didn't. Those were all sort of ancillary things. He was still amazing on the court. The block that he put on Draymond or on uh, Andre Iguodala in Game Seven is one of the greatest defensive plays in the history of basketball. Like there was still greatness to be had. His game was enjoyable to watch. His general antics were not right. And that's the problem is that a player like him, it's few and far between. Right. You know, you get you get way more antics and way more the character versus the player. Right. James Harden, on the other hand. Um, his game is just a parade to the free throw line. He his game is predicated on getting contact. It's a lot of it's a lot of contact generated. The ball kind of he gets some and ones. He gets some three point play opportunities, but he really he really is just like. And if he if he generates contact, and it's really like he's generating it, and then tries to flop and puts up a terrible shot, then you have to watch him argue with the referee every time. His game is best played when it's just a parade to the free throw line with him, and that's not fun basketball to watch. It doesn't nope. mean he's a bad player. It doesn't mean he sucks. It doesn't mean he's overrated. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just it's not enjoyable basketball. And so I wanted to ask you, if you had to kind of find somebody, you could we could do this, you know, in our favorite sports. Or I have four right now. Just right off. <laughs> now these are not players that you hate. That's something else entirely. These are the players that you find the least enjoyable to watch. Well. Let me, let me begin my conversation with saying that one of my players or one of my people least likely to watch is Bill Belichick. And the, and, and I, I know what you're saying. I, I know you're thinking. It's just because he's the Patriots head coach, this and that. That is what I was thinking. Well, the problem I have with Belichick is what, you know, probably what the NFL has with him and his, and his previous coaches and current coordinators have with him. I mean, the guy is, a, he's a piece of stone. He, I mean, it's one of those things like there's zero emotion. He gives no fucks about anybody else. It is just what he wants to do. You know, the fact that he's been tied to a couple different, uh, and, and for the record, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm hating the word gate on anything. If anyone has another gate problem in any sports, I will automatically side with that person from this point forward. I'm sorry. I'm tired of hearing Deflate Gate. I'm tired of hearing, you know, uh, what was that? It was Film Gate or Spygate. Spygate. Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of that. It's horrible. I was, I was big. I was more into uh, Balgazi. I like. I thought <laughs> Balgazi was better. Balgazi was way more creative. But I, you know, I just 
the thing is, I, I feel like head coaches need to set an example for their players. And I just feel like he just has this, you know, he just has such an arrogance about his play. And I understand he keeps a lot of shit close to his chest. You know, for the longest time, he kept Tom Brady every single game. Tom Brady was listed as questionable. That was just his thing. Um, but you lead by example. And he clearly hasn't had any problems from his players, minus one who's currently serving a double murder sentence. But I don't think that started there. That was, that was something that was in motion. Florida. What's I, that? Yeah, that was. University of Florida. That uh, listen, I would say, I would say this. I'm not I'm not necessarily judging your selection here. I'm just I'm offering this a little bit of advice. Um, maybe just pay attention to what's going on on the field, like in between the white lines, not right. with what's going on with a guy dressed like a homeless person. And that's the part the, the the part I you know was alluding to is that you know his I just like the the, the cutoff sweatshirts like really like I understand that's your thing and that's how. You know what, if I wanted to chill on the couch on Sundays and look like that, but I can tell you what, I look better on Sundays than that guy does. Um, the person I I hate to watch, and the, and the reason that it's so difficult is he's in my division. Uh, he is <laughs> he is one of those people who is an amazing quarterback. He has set all kinds of records. He is uh, probably one of the original comeback kids. But, man, it drives me crazy. He drives me crazy. He makes my blood boil from Southern California, San Diego Chargers, Mr. Phillip Rivers. That guy, just the way he, he gets into these chippy arguments with all kinds of, his, of, of uh, the, the, he gets into it with, um, you know, players of the opposite team with, with fans. He's quite demonstrative. With, yeah, oh, sure. God, he's so, he's horrible. And it's just, you can just see his face. It's this spoiled brat uh, demeanor of how he talks and yells at people and just has this tone and glare. And the thing is, he's an amazing player, but I can never look past that. Even if he was outside of my division, I would still have shared hate for him simply because his behavior is sometimes inexcusable. Borderline inexcusable. I, I, I'm, I'm following. Okay. I'm following. I uh what say you Panama? I one of my least favorite guys uh my least favorite great players to watch is a former closer for the Washington Nationals um Philadelphia Phillies and Boston Red Sox Jonathan Papelbon and I will say that the guy was a great closer and he had his moments where he was a high wire act but it's the fake intensity if you have not had a chance to watch Jonathan Papelbon uh get down there with his arm kind of dangling down Stare oh, down at the yeah, mound. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about now. And then look up with like this crate, like, come on, dude. He's laying it on very thick, you know. And he gets a bad rap for kind of some of the things. You got the big fight with. Um, what are you talking about? With Bryce. Yeah, with Bryce Harper. Um, you know, just he's got a fake hustle about him. He's a great player, though, but it's some of like the. Some of the like the fake drama around that he creates, or, like the fake intensity that he creates. That's the stuff that really bothers me. Um, another guy. In similar, what the hell just happened? Uh, in similar vein, another guy that I used to hate watching pitch was Josh Beckett because he just took forever, forever. Josh Beckett was the absolute worst. Well, on top of that, he also had a, a magazine for pricing baseball cards after him. Uh, hey, there you go. Um, and, you know, Josh Beckett, you know, had great postseasons. He was a great player, um, but he was he was horrifying to watch just because if he got a runner on 
if you get a runner on, on second and less than two outs, that inning was going at least another 25 minutes. Uh, Basketball-wise, we already kind of talked about James Harden. I had another one, Kevin Martin, who was the same thing. Same idea, the whole idea. <laughs> yeah, that's him fighting with Bryce Harper. Yeah. Um, you know, Kevin Martin, same thing. The whole game is pretty, like, the game in basketball is to make baskets, right? You're supposed to make baskets and keep people from making baskets on your side of the court. That's the whole point, right? You know, the idea of basketball is to make baskets and to prevent the ball from going in your own basket. Um, and however you do that, you know, as long as you're doing it efficiently, that's you're you're doing your job. So I don't, you know, I don't fault any, you know, guys like Harden or Kevin Martin is another example for like their game is to just get to the free throw line. I don't fault them for that. It's just not fun to watch. That's my point. Right. It's like I, I do not enjoy watching that style of basketball. It drives me crazy. Um, Beckett dry, you know, slows the game down. Papelbon fake hustle. I'm about to, I'm about to, uh, I'm about to maybe don't do it. Upset some people. I say this. Don't do it. Uh, last eight years of his career, I will say this. Maybe oh, six years of his career. Perry Bonds, I knew it. Son no. of a bitch. Uh, I hated watching Peyton Manning in the last six years of his career. Six? Really that, that long? Yeah, because his arm started to fall apart right around year five or six of his career. And so there was like a middle ground. Like the middle third of his career was even more impressive because he still had some athletic ability. And his like understanding and feel for the game was only getting better. And so you could appreciate some of what he was doing at the line, the 23 seconds of signal calling that was going on at the line. You could appreciate some of that because he was still making plays and throws down the field. Yeah. Um, the last, maybe, eh, maybe four years, maybe I'll say four years, the last four years, all of that athleticism was gone. And so much of what was going on there was just fluff. And it was designed to disrupt timing and nothing else. He was not making that many decisions at the line and constantly changing plays. If you walk to the line with no play called, you're not make you're not calling three plays at the line. You're only calling one. So much of that was right. was dummy. You know, we're just dummy calls, and it was not fun football to watch at times. I mean, even in the year he threw for fifty touchdowns, you know, they lit the scoreboard up all over the place, but it didn't. I mean, it didn't make for great football at times. I'm not saying it wasn't great. I'm not saying it was not amazing quarterbacking. It just right, no. was. It just was not enjoyable. Oh, to watch. I see your point. I totally see your point. And it didn't upset me. Like oh, I hate this, but like it just it was not enjoyable. It's just one of those things. Like come on, like you kind of you know you're watching it. You know, guys like you and I don't have a lot of free time, and it's upsetting when you try to chisel out a little bit of time. You know, whether you're watching with the kids or whatever the case may be, doing stuff in the garage at the same time. You just a little bit of time to watch a game, and you see stuff like that. Like I see your point. Like that's it's not enjoyable anymore when you see when you see guys do that. And I I noticed it more. I wouldn't say in four years. I mean, obviously, as soon as he went to Denver, it was you know <laughs> he was on my radar more. And but it's one of those things where it was just so aggravating. I I agree with you, but at the same time, it's so hard to 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 give it a. A fair shake because he was competent at what he did, and he was able to manage the game around his inability to perform. If that makes sense, physically, sure. No, and listen, that's the whole that's the whole point of the question is that like you don't. It's not that these guys aren't great players. It's just not enjoyable football to watch, right? Right. And so, like your Philip Rivers answer, like you know, he's not an enjoyable guy, really, right? Just the way the acts, but like it's not. It's hard to say that like his game is not enjoyable to watch, right? Like you know, no, the problem is that he has these high points. And then loses his shit in between. And it's like that. You can see him losing on his players. Right. And if he wears one more goddamn bolo tie, I'm going to choke him with it. 
That's a side note. That is not do it. I just say that's you know that's that's wardrobe. But <laughs> the no, but like it's one of those things where I, the problem is that that character happens in the game, and then all of a sudden it's just like you know this is it becomes a, a, a car crash on the side of the freeway. Everyone begins to rubberneck watching him have a tantrum, and they forget about the game. And that happens for fans. It happens for players. It happens for his defense because they're out there playing. And you can't tell me they're not looking at the sidelines what's going on. And he's throwing a tantrum, having a hard time. It distracts everybody on the team. And it's one of those things where it, t- it draws away. If he cut that shit out, he would be cons- – I mean, he's already considered an elite quarterback. I get he's that. He's a Hall of Famer. Right. Oh, and he totally, totally deserves that. He, he is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, but it's one of those things where I just feel like it just – I feel like it tarnishes his character – and I just, you know, in, in, unless you're a San Diego fan, which there's very not, there's not many of them, not enough to, to vote on a, on about, a ballot for a new stadium. They're about to be LA fans anyway, right? But yeah, just with him, it, like I said, it, it foreshadows his ability to be such a great player. And I feel like he would be, uh, I think he'd be up in the ranks with Tom Brady, had he not had had he not behaved that way, or how, if he didn't behave that way, or you know, been to seven Super Bowls, or whatever the hell it's been, right? The, you know, it, it's it's crazy, and I I really can't think. I, mean, I know you dropped that question on me a little bit ago, and I automatically went to, you know, my my people I hate, my go to uh, people, you know, players I, I don't like, and then I start thinking more and more about the question, a little deeper, trying to think a little more, uh, you know, honestly, like, okay, take away your take away your 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 enemies against your favorite team, um, and it's really hard to come up with somebody. It's really hard because I can I do appreciate the game of football. I do appreciate, you know, I, I've always said, you know, I, I enjoy every team every week until you play my team and then I hate you. Right. Um, but it's, it's one of those things. That's a tough question. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk beer and then we'll get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Sports beer. Just tuning in, and you started an you started hour and twenty minutes into the show. Three quarters in. Yeah. If your thing is skipping ahead to the three quarter mark in any podcast or DVR episode or even VHS, I'll give you that. Then Betamax. This is, if you're a Betamax, this is the, uh, laser disc. Ooh, there we go. Uh, wasn't there the uh, the MD player too? The MD, the V, uh, not the VD player. It's way different. Uh, <laughs> the VD. Yeah. Anyways, if you're, yeah, if you're into skipping ahead, then this is the podcast for you. Do you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to just, like I doodle when we do these. I think I'm just going to do a take coffee table book of all my podcast doodles. I think you should sell them online and give the money to Humane Society. Oh, that's a good idea. Or to the V-Twin Society. The V-Twin the V-D Society. Yes, there you go. <laughs> oh, all right, man. so tell us more about this beer. So this is called the Cool Kids uh, well, sir, I can't be drinking it. I'm not one yeah, of the cool kids. That was our. That was the the best. We told, we told. Where the joke was, you know, Barry, who's in his 90s. We uh, the joke was, oh, can't wait, can't wait to tell your kids that you got to drink a beer for the cool kids, can you, Bear? <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, no, this is their sort of uh, every. It's sort of the, the trend is to make these really tropical, bright, and floral IPAs. Um, you know, passion fruit. You know, pineapple, mango, stone fruits, um, 
know, these really light drinkable IPAs, it's not really their style most of the time. They have a, a decent malt backbone, and they're a little bit more experimental at times. But this was sort of their homage to that. And I'm sorry, that's with every, they do like a series of beers when they're cool kids, or is that, this, this is just part of who they are, and then they experiment, they change. They do a series. This okay. is, you know, whatever the sort of the trendy thing is. And this is their second batch of cool kids. Okay. Um, and so this, you know, this IPA, sort of like a orangey color. Yeah, it's got a, it's got an interesting hue. Cool, uh, you know, decent amount of lacing, not a lot of head. It almost looks like an unfiltered wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at it in the light, and it does have that subtle orange. Looks like that, you know, you could just, looks like that. Looks a lot like a little something. Oh, very much so. I totally see that. Um, but it looks like you could see, like, the orange rind in the yeah. beer almost, you know, that, that color. Yeah. Um, I get, a, I get uh, a little bit of pineapple in this. There's, like, a decent amount of mango. Um, there's not a lot of bittering hop here. It's not particularly dry. It's really juicy in that way. Um, I, I, I really like it. I, I don't love it as much as I love the other one. Um, well, the other one is so savory. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things like that was the other one. It's such like a after dinner yeah. drink. Yeah. Um, something like, especially the weather we're having right now. I mean, it's yeah. literally raining in the background. Like the fire is lit. The rain is outside. The Christmas lights are up. That beer is perfect for that. Yeah. Oh, this beer is more for like hot days, lawnmowers and fireworks and water slides, the whole deal. Yeah, when you had to wolf friends that sound like Wolfman Jack. When you had to walk back upstairs more than once during the day, you're sweaty and you're out of breath. This beer's great for that. Um I get, you know it's funny, I get a very um astringent smell in the nose. And I'm I rinsed the glass pretty thoroughly. Um, it's almost a little medicine-y. Like, huh. um, like, and just take a, take a whiff out of mine to make sure it's not just my nose being jacked up. Like, it's a little, like, you know when you, like, pop open the foil wrap of a medicine, like, Dayquil or, you know, whatever? I do know what you're talking about. Oh, you know, you know what, it, I think this is exactly what it smells like. Like a Theraflu or a, uh, vitamin C packet, like the emergency. Like, that smell of that powder is kind of what it smells like to me. So what Brad's doing right now, which actually is a really good way of doing that, is when you when you sample and taste beer, you're using your nose but leaving your mouth open, um, and that way you're getting you are truly getting everything out of the beer. You're allowing your the the aroma to come through the nose as well as through the mouth. You know, it's interesting that you say that when not so much like that like chalky like like when you when you finally let that emergency start to fizz. Yeah, like that orange emergency that to first, fizz. Yeah, that's not so much when you like open, like it gets a lot sweeter when you when it starts to dissipate in the water and starts to effervesce. I do get some of that in here. I think that's just the orange. I wouldn't have necessarily. Yeah, I wouldn't I, have necessarily pinpointed that as being medicine-y, But maybe I do it's see more what you're because getting. Because I've been drinking emergencies <laughs> and medicine for two weeks. <laughs> it's your job. <laughs> Three weeks straight. His other podcast, <laughs> Sports Meets Medicines. Yeah, over the counter <laughs> drugs and what they can do for you. Yeah. OTCs and you. When you fight going to the doctor for two weeks. <laughs> um, um, no, but it's, I think it's, um, for me, it, like I said, and I want to predicate it or, or, or say that that, that medicine-y flavor, the Theraflu. It's not off-putting. No, no, not at all. I, I, it's, it's one of those things where 
to me, it, it really hits the back of your palate and kind of like, you know, up in your upper cheek, back in your gums. Like that, yeah. to me, it kind of sits back there in a way that is very similar to some of the sours we've had. Um, it's not off-putting. I think it draws you in a little bit more. Um, I think the aroma is mild. It's probably the best way of putting that. So there's not a lot of there's not a lot of hot. I mean, if they just did like maybe a little bit of dry hopping up front, it would hide all of that, and it would have such a much a much better. But you don't want to dry hop with. You're not going to do like a citra hop, right? Dry hopping because it's going to overdo it. Do you um, find that you like? Let me tell Picasso how to paint a picture real quick too. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind? Do you find that you almost like would prefer this to have a little bit more bittering in the finish? Like a no, little actually, more dryness. I, it's, do you, you think a, it's good? Actually, I feel like it's sitting. Now it's sitting here, and I'm you know like I'm being a little bit of a mouth breather. Anyways, I'm stuffed up. <laughs> but the more that I breathe through the, my mouth, I notice that it is it is dry. It is bitter on my palate right now. Is it in a in a typical IPA way? Like I feel like I I don't get any. There's really zero leftover citrus, and it's all IPA. It's yeah. just a standard IPA. Which is kind of interesting because normally with the citrus, any kind of whether it's you know a, a grapefruit sculpin, even regular sculpin has that citrus kind of flow to it. Yeah, this doesn't have that. Citrus leaves your palate pretty quickly, uh, and I feel like it dries it out at a pretty even pace. So interestingly enough, I found this to be a little drier, fresh out of the tap versus out of the growler today. Okay, when we drank it the other, when we drank it yesterday. I found it to be a little bit drier and have a little tell, bit more bitterness in the finish. Tell me about the carbonation. Is it close? Because I was weird. Uh, uh, one of the things we were impressed with was the uh, the wrap method they use when they wrap there. They have screw top growlers. Um, these are also thirty two ounce growlers, not sixty fours. Uh, and they have it screw top, and then it's kind of sealed with a almost like a shrink wrap. So it really would hold it in in transit. Once you open it, you've committed to drinking it. But. Right. Um, I think it's pretty close. I think it's pretty close. I don't remember, like, the dryness is really the only thing that that I'm noticing that's different, or the dryness or the bitterness is really the only thing now that I'm noticing that I felt like I was bigger when we drank it yesterday, or it was okay. more apparent than we drank yesterday. I wonder if... Were I you eating? Were you, I, I care, were you eating anything with we this? We were not. Okay. We were not. Okay. Um, we were drinking a lot at that point. Yeah. We, had, we tasted a lot of things there, but... Um, like you've been sitting in traffic for three hours? Yeah, no kidding. Um... <laughs> And then Pickles tried to give me a warm Pilsner or Kell. Was not was not good. He's like, yeah, it's not warm. Why would he try to hand you a Pilsner or Kell anywhere? Uh, it's a great it's a great point. It was when we were getting in the car. Oh my! It's a whole thing. Oh Jesus. Um, this, I I think this is really good. I, this gets a solid B for me. I, I I really liked it on draft. I think that you know, like I said, I think that it had a little bit more bitterness and dryness to it at the brewery. I still find this to be really enjoyable. Um, it reminds. It has a lot of similarities from the singled out mosaic yeah. um, IPA that we tried from uh, Alpine a couple episodes ago. Um, well, you know, and that's it's really funny you say that. Um, I was just thinking that while you're telling me how you'd like it to be a little bit drier and things like that, I feel like this beer, like it's it's so it's 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 dry enough to where I would drink this. I would have a second one, kind of a third one. Oh, I would. I would definitely want to. I need to have something to eat with it because I feel like it's drying out my mouth mm-hmm. so much. So, the more I drink it, the more my, my palate's getting dried out. Uh, and I am breathing through my nose now, not just being a mouth breather. <laughs> but I feel like if I had some food with it, like it would, you know, kind of regenerate the, the saliva glands to keep going. And it just, like by itself, is it's really, 
This is, I mean, this is a great, this is a great beer. This would be almost a really good, um, like a palate cleansing beer. Because I really don't feel like the reminiscent of the, the, all I get left is the little bit of the IPA buzz, uh, bitterness. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, I was really happy with it. I, I, I mean, it's why I brought it. I thought it was yeah. great. I wanted to taste it on Super the show. Super cool. And I, um, tell me about the, do you feel the carbonation level of the other beer we had? Was very similar, and that's I, only because that was that's kind of a lower carb carbonation level. It's pretty indicative of that style. Yeah, no, that one felt right to me. Okay. That one tasted in my palate memory, like palate recall, sensory recall, whatever. Um, that uh, one that'd seemed, be palatation sensory recall. Palatation sensation. PSR. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Uh, no, that that tasted to me as I remembered it. For nice. some reason, I feel I feel like this maybe had a little bit more. Dryness, it, yeah, dryness. Yesterday, but um, I still, and that's I do that, still really like it. Like I said, solid B. Uh, you know, again, that's something that you know it's it's crazy to think about. But that little bit of time, I mean, twenty four hours can really change. Sure, a beer can really change. I mean, you're, I mean, you're getting minimal, minimal oxygen escape out of that the way that growler was set up. It's just that there's really no other other than the Sierra Nevada method, which have you you've seen there. The big mass, massive machine that shoots nitrogen in, and yeah. this whole thing, and they swing tops with rubber stoppers. I mean, that's those are million dollar machines. But I think this, the way that thing was packaged, was impressive. They just had like a like a short little Filipino guy just blowing into the growler while he was filling the beer up to try and get all the. This one tastes like Ponset. <laughs> Ernest. Uh, no, this Benoit is Benoit Bauer. To me, this is uh, like I said. This is I didn't catch the. IB or uh, ABV on it. It's, it was sevens. It's on the. It's on the. It's all the way over in the fridge. Um, a long ways away. Maybe just keep throwing numbers out, and I'll just we'll just guess. Seven, seven, one, seven, two, seven, three, seven, four. Don't forget to take off your headphones. Seven, four, seven, five, seven, five, seven, six. Seventy-seven, seven, 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 seven. You left seven. it in the fridge. Yes. Laces seven, out. Seven point two. So I was right. I knew it. <laughs> uh, no, it's and that seems about average. I had this conversation with a retailer today. About what a seven percent beer is and what it used to be. Uh, uh, what do you What do you mean? Meaning you say that, what it used to be. Well, what it used to be was seven percent was in a you know if you did a seven percent seventy IBU beer. I the hawk. Yeah, this was massive. It was a big beer, and a lot of people couldn't handle it. It was way too bitter. Um, well, the you know, art has evolved from that. Oh, right? totally. But yeah, it's, you mean essentially, you're people are giving a shit about it and not just cranking right. out a pale ale. But no, I think this is this is something I would I would I guess like four to five stars. I would totally drink this yep. again. Yeah. I'd love to try it on draft. I'd love to try it. Um if they do they and they do cans of this, correct? Um, they do I don't know if they do bottles of this or not. Only if there was a place I knew I could go that had free access to beers and bottles. <laughs> and I could write out samples as I wish. Yeah. <laughs> In a facility that does contract brewing. On East Taylor Street in San Jose. East Taylor Street, my old stomping grounds. No, I think uh, this is a great selection. I'm super impressed. The two beers you brought, uh, I man, we good. should get we should get down there. I'm down. Yeah, we still got to do uh, the homeboys from uh, Windsor Brew Brothers. Oh, Barrel Brothers, yeah, Barrel Brothers. Do. I'm sorry, we do that too. We got a lot of a lot of. We got still the Frickle episode. We still got a lot of stuff to do before the end of the year. Jeez. Jesus Christ! Four more arguments to get in before the before the end of the year. We it's like forty hours from now. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. 
Well, um, let me uh, let me go over this list real quick. As we wind down, we'll probably start in some music right about now. That's how short this is going to go. Um, this the cool part about this was the you know we talk about the San Diego beer scene. Um, you know, one thing I noticed on on Cali Craft's website uh, was that they they're all about California ingredients. They're all about California uh, products, things like that. Um, so what? And in, in, in a weird way, it drew me to this where. This is uh, uh, from the San Diego Union Tribune article that gave five beers that made San Diego famous. You know, you talk about the California beer scene. You know, it's really all about, uh, you know, Northern California, which is the NorCal beer scene is San Francisco, Sonoma County, Marin County. Um, That's it's 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 NorCal proper. Um, And then you go and it's the San Diego beer scene. And then obviously there's the Oregon and Washington scene as well. But everyone models their West Coast IPAs uh, or California IPAs after what other breweries have done. Right. So this uh, page, as soon as it starts responding, um, these are five beers that have really made their way. And if you've been in San Diego since the 90s, you should know all of these and you have no excuse for not knowing them. Uh, First and foremost on there is a brewery which I kind of felt was falling off up in this area, but Carl Strauss. So they're red trolley. You know, we've talked a lot about how there's not a ton of there's not a ton of uh, red beers. I forgot to bring Nick Offerman in. I'm sorry, Nick. Nick's sitting by the fire. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I'm so annoyed when I even started that. The uh, the red trolley. Did you know that it was started as a uh, holiday beer? It was a a winter. I didn't know that. Yeah, kind of weird. They also had a weird ban. As a company, because they had they were known as a brewery restaurant locations. They had multiple locations that brew. They had a brew house, but they also brewed small batches in their restaurants. They were not allowed to enter any uh, any contests, so no GABFs, nothing. Really? Yeah, they lifted the ban. They didn't say when the ban stopped. Um, I think they they uh, they did. A, they got the most recent award. I think it was twenty ten. Uh, they medal most regularly at, at World Beer Cup and GABF. On a regular basis, so pretty neat. And it's cool. They actually um, we're carrying one of their beers right now at the restaurant. We may actually have tapped it, but it's a uh, tequila barrel aged yeah. imperial pilsner. Uh, people are like, "Oh, I can't handle the smell." No, it smells like it smells like a tequila barrel. The flavor, though, imparts this like g- like spiced gingerbread cookie thing going on. It it's awesome. It is so good. I really wanted to try it when I had lunch there the other day, and then I looked. And it was ten percent, and I realized I wanted to. Stay awake for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next beer out of the five, um, it's this little beer company, a little brewery called Stone Brewing. You may have heard of it or not, Brad. Uh, yeah, I think once or twice. Yeah. So they are... Uh, I read know, about it in a book. <laughs> in a book. They're getting known more and more for their Enjoy Buy and um, some of their specialty series. But they really got their, their teeth... They cut their teeth on Arrogant Bastard. And there's been a lot of different varieties of Arrogant Bastard. There's been Double Bastard and... Oak you know, Bastard. Oh, yeah, you, you're not worthy and all those things. Fucking Bastard. Yeah, Stepdad Bastard. Um, <laughs> but this, yeah, this started... They opened in 96, and this beer was released in 97. Um, it was a hit right away. Um, it's... It's crazy. It's... Um, 
you know, it down in that area, it it became the uh, the beer that was known for San Diego. It kind of laid the foundation. Carl Strauss had their thing with a red. This really was the first way. This was the first full-bodied IPA from Southern California that really, really, really paved the way for everyone else. Um, yeah. Stone defeated attempts to ban Arrogant Bastard in Indiana and Ohio, where state officials argued that the name was obscene. Yeah, isn't that that's isn't crazy. That crazy? Middle America, man. You can marry your cousin there, but you can't buy a beer yeah. named Arrogant Bastard. It's funny, you know, uh, I, I don't know, have you ever been a fan of the old Arrogant Bastard? Uh, not really. It's it's not really my style either, but I do I appreciate it for what it is. Um, but I do wonder if its popularity, uh, if its popularity is due in larger part to its name than the actual liquid, because yeah, it's th- very much like death and taxes up here, which I think is a, a great beer. Yeah, but more people are drawn to it by the name than the style of beer. Yeah, I think you're right, and that's, that's totally just, fair. That's just one of those things where I, you know, I think it's a great beer. I think it's a decent company. But at the end of the day, I don't think people are looking for that on the shelf. I think they look for it because it's a little bit like street cred and it makes you look cool. And yeah. this is back when, you know, at this point, most people were were subjected to it was just Sierra Nevada. Yeah, Pete's Wicked Ale was in '96. Pete's, Pete's Wicked, Wicked Ale Brew. was still a thing. Who the fuck is Pete? Fuck Pete. Sam Adams was the was a big craft brewer. You know, so it's one of those things where. You know, and, and all of those, you know, Sam Adams had a distinct flavor. Sierra Nevada had a distinct flavor. All they did is create their own distinct flavor, and it people were looking for that. They wanted something different, and the name drew them in, and the liquid probably kept, you know, 30, 30 to 40% of them. That's actually, it's interesting that you say that. Uh, one of the things that we noted yesterday during our, or on Thursday during our brewery tour was that, you know, you go to these brews, you go to Lagunitas, you go to... You know, Sierra Nevada. Actually, John Martinez and I were talking about this. You go to Sierra Nevada, you go to Lagunitas, you go to 21st Amendment, even where we ended up that day. And you know, with every beer that you taste, you know that you're drinking a 21st Amendment beer. Right. We could not say that about Cali Craft yesterday. That's impressive because we've had that conversation about anchor beers. Yeah. uh, With the exception of their California lager, they all have generally the same malt bill. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with with Gordon Beers. Tasty this year. I know I had one at lunch the other day. Yeah, it's um, I they did a good job. Beer, same thing. They have the same Munich malt build. Um, malt build. Um, a lot of the a lot of the Lagunitas beers, you know, they're overly sweet. That's how they get their high ABV. But it's just one of those things you can start detecting that. That's pretty impressive. Makes me want get to want to get down there that much more. Um, here's a beer that I have not had, and I kind of want to go out and try to get some. But this is uh, what I talked about earlier. Um, with the uh, the the uh, brewing for the Descendants beer, uh, it was Alesmith. Uh, they started in two thousand one. Um, in ninety eight, the uh, owner made this beer, which is a coffee laced stout. Obviously, their coffee IPA has something to be desired to. But this uh, coffee stout tastes like an IPA. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this came in at uh, the first beer came out at. Eight and a half percent, and um, really that that didn't that, that was a big that back in ninety nine and two thousand one that was huge. And eight and a half percent. Yeah, I mean that was you might as well. I mean at that point you might as well people were drinking liquor instead of beer because 
why I do that? I could just get a Smirnoff yeah. you know, vodka soda kind of thing. Eight and a half percent beer at that time was like the jolt cola of beer. People drink it just <laughs> exactly. like that much alcohol. Holy moly, I got to get my hands tastes on Tastes better than this mad dog I was drinking. Yeah. Uh, shortly after that, uh, in, in uh, December in 2001, uh, created a uh, Russian Imperial Stout, uh, which used a local coffee company. And, you know, that you can just tell this, this guy was going big. Um and he's do was doing aging in bourbon barrels early on, uh, fourteen years ago is when they started doing it. So, wow, he kind of they kind of started the barrel aging craze. I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, you're doing that fourteen years ago. I mean, to me, barrel aging really didn't become popular until five six years ago, and then it yeah. you know in the last four years it's become very popular. Yes, because now people know that they can do it with like using like oak chips or oak cubes. Right. Um, you know, they, they don't have to necessarily do it in the barrel, per se. It's very much of the liquid smoke yes. Uh, idea. Yes, that's a you great, can, you that's can a get, great you draw. You can get away with a lot. Yeah, that's a great pull. Uh, next one, would be, which is obvious on the list, uh, which is Sculpin IPA, um, which uh, that, that launched in 2005. It was very uh, limited release, hard to find, which made it, of course. That old? Wow. Yeah, made it very, very sexy and appealing. Um Here's something cool. In 2014, uh, it was a it was the Sculpin and Grapefruit Sculpin were more than 50 percent of the brewery's annual sales. 2014, their annual sales were 48.9 million. Keep in mind, this beer was literally only released to the Western United States. This wasn't even 2014. They weren't even. They didn't make it out to the to the East Coast yet. There was like, they were in major metro areas like New York and Florida and things like that, but there's a lot of cities and towns and states that they skipped over. Like Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> Shreveport, Louisiana <laughs> probably didn't get their hands on <laughs> Ballast Point Sculpin. If it was, it was on a small, small... College uh, small, Station, yeah, Texas. Exactly. Um, you know, obviously they're now owned by Constellation Brands, bought up for a billion dollars. Um, unbelievable, but yeah, that's that's one of the to me that's that's what really brought it full and frontals. You know, Stone laid the groundwork. Carl Strauss brought an intrinsic style to it, but man's Ballast Point and what they did, uh, it was. And I was a part of that growth craze when I was selling beer for my distributor job. It was unbelievable. It was people were people were so excited to get this beer on tap. And so excited to have it. And when we finally had it readily available, I can remember very vividly the first time that we actually received the kegs we ordered. Meaning that, you know, we normally ordered, okay, we want 60 of these kegs, these sculpting kegs, and we get 12. And it's like, well, how do you invite 60 people to a party and then tell them only 12 people can come? That's horrible. That's a you're bad, bad guest. Yeah. And when you actually say 60 and you get 60, it makes for a pretty good day. Yeah, no kidding. I will say... The owner of Taps, Eric, still to this day gives me a hard time because we was on a str- such a strict allocation. We couldn't get it to him. When it was finally open, to we had this full, full you know, full, full, full fulfillment order. He wasn't ready for it, and Hooters just opened up, and we had done a big oh, install yeah. at Hooters. And Hooters was like, "Hey, man, I want Sculpin." I'm like, "All right, well, we've got it available now, no problem." And Eric went down there first, like to for the opening, and he was just like. Are you fucking kidding me? You, I've asked for this for years. You guys told me no, and fucking Hooters has it. Still to this day, it gives me a hard time for that. 
Well, Eric, maybe don't be such a... Never mind. We need to get him on the podcast. He'd be actually a really good host. I think really I, good guest. Dude, rather. we were carrying the... Uh, we were carrying a different... Um, a different sort of fruit-infused IPA from another company in Colorado at one of our restaurants. And uh, we were carrying that. We were doing fairly well with it. Um, and uh, over 40 days, we sold uh, two. We just pulled. The, we just had the numbers pulled. We sold two kegs of it over 40 days. That's an eight-handle lineup. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad. We put grapefruit sculpin on, and over 40 days, we sold nine kegs. Wow. Versus two kegs. That's unbelievable. It's a great, it's a, it's a phenomenal beer. I can remember the first time we tried it. I can you know, remember ordering it by the case for the house and just saying repeatedly, I will never get tired of this beer. Right. Ever. It's ama- It's awesome. I still don't. It's still one of those things. Yeah. Uh, last on the list, which is actually my favorite San Diego brewery over Ballast Point, is Green Flash. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, I, I really, really love what they do. I think, you know, much to what we talked about before, you know, Ballast Point has a certain style and character, and it's it's very it's good. It's great. It's one of the best beers around. It's been voted the best IPA for a reason. But I really liked when you know this was this goes back five six years ago when I visited San Diego and went on a brewery tour of Green Flash, and they were kind of all over the place. They had so many different styles. Uh, and so many different things, and this one in particular, the the freak, um, which I at the time was just starting to dabble and play with Belgians, Belgian beers, really, really, really started liking them, um, you know. And this is like the Hublon Schuifs of the world and things like that, and some of the stuff New Belgium was doing, some of their aging in Belgian beers, um, really, really cool. And I that beer really, really spoke to me. In fact, it's all I drank for quite a while, and I also haven't had it in quite a while. They started in 2005, and uh, it was probably the first, the first West Coast Belgian style uh, IPA or Belgian beer that was to an American that was was recreated in an American way. Um, they're saying that they they think it's the first Belgian IPA made in America. I'm willing to bet New Belgium would bet, beat them to that, um, but it was probably only available in Fort Collins and things like that. Um, it's not as metaled as Ballast Point is, but the Lafrique is one of those things where, and this was very close to Miramar, is where their where their brew house is. Um, so you know, Top Mir- Gun School. Yes, uh, you got a lot of military behind that. So when people were in visiting, uh, this was the first brew house uh, around the base, and so they, you know, when you get guys on leave or a chance to leave the base for a short period of time. Um, you know the days of Tijuana are gone, and now they look for b- good beer. And um, a lot of a lot of uh, soldiers and a lot of uh, you know guys in the Navy and Air Force have talked about this beer as being one of the things they remember best about their area, their time in San Diego. But uh, I, I still think this is one of their best beers they do. Is and this um, also remember we tried the uh, Cosmic Ristretto, yes, that espresso based yes uh, beer. I thought that was amazing too. So. Yeah, I I thought that beer was awesome as well. I, I sometimes my only issue with Green Flash is that times I get a little bit too much of that like soapy, oily, like like floral hand soap right. characteristic, and I don't know that that's necessarily bad. It's just not my style. That's that's probably more indicative of the like the West Coast IPA. Um, that's you know their their big IPA 
um, is very, and I think the best word, the best adjective you used there was soapy. Yeah. Because you do get that. It's florally and it's a little bit oily at the same time. Just like if you know if you ever had your mouth washed out with soap or you inadvertently get soap in your mouth, that's the best way to describe it. It's this floral off taste and it really kind of affects everything else you eat until you can get it out of your mouth. And that's... Sometimes I get soap in my mouth like if I'm in the shower or whatever and like I give myself a good scrubbing down there and I want to see if it's clean. Yeah. I'll, get like my, I won't, I'll forget to rinse my hand first. So I'll have like some soap in my hand. I'll give like a sniff like and I, you know, it just ends up... In my, it's just a whole thing. All right. You know, just try, I'm just trying to relate to what you're saying. I I, I get it. <laughs> shower shower time at the Barmore household. Yeah, it's a lot of crotch sniffing. Nice. All right. Well, those are the five beers that impacted San Diego, the beer scene. Uh, I'd have to agree with them, other than Ale Smith. That, we got to really try to get one of those on our show. Got to get our hands on one. I might know I'm, a guy that knows a guy. Next On next week, we're going to do the uh, five breweries that have impacted the state of Wyoming. <laughs> um, we'll be working our way through the the great states, the great United States. <laughs> the five beers that impacted the Great Lakes, <laughs> bells, <laughs> hams. The five beers that impacted Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana. Abita, 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 Abita Applebum. No, it. which right. I highly recommend it, ladies and gentlemen. If you have not gone out and gotten yourself the new Tribe Called Quest album and listened to it, you have done yourself a disservice. Q-Tip has still got it. I don't think he ever lost it. I No, I'm not suggesting that he did. I, I didn't say he got it back. I'm saying he still got it. He knows Stella. Oh, man. Too good. Right on. All right, well, let's wrap it up. We've been here too long. It's raining. You got to drive home. I do. All right, brother. That's it. Thank you very much. Facebook. Sports Meets Beer. Instagram. Untapped. Untapped. Gmail. Sports Meets Beer at gmail.com. If you haven't heard us, check us out on 97.7 The River. Danny Wright Morning Show. We're there Friday mornings with football picks. Currently, Brad's in the lead. Hoping after this weekend that changes. We'll see you next week. Unless I pick more games than you, that's probably not happening. We could tie. What are you right now? Seven, seven and five. Except we picked some of the same games. Wait, no, wait. I went opposite this whole week. It's every week I went opposite. This week I went opposite games. So I know. If, you, if you free fall, you get tired. It's not going to happen. Right. Even on my best day. Anyways, sports meets beer. Beer. Thank you. Thank you.